Thursday, August the 18th, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Recording a little bit early this week, so the schedule will be just a little bit different. Let's talk about what we have on this episode for you. NFC North team-by-team previews with Eric, so we'll dive into the Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings, Detroit Lions, and Chicago Bears win totals, new player movement, any kind of coaching changes, strengths, weaknesses, dive into the schedule, everything for each of those teams. Then we'll get into the horse racing portion. Friday, Saratoga, Saturday, Del Mar. Because I'm recording a little bit early, we'll get you those tracks. We'll also get you Saturday, Louisiana Downs, full card. And then if you want some help with Saturday racing, just come on over to social media and I'll have more for Del Mar and for Saratoga for Saturday. Just head on over, follow. It's me, Gino B, and we'll, uh, we'll post some Saturday stuff for you. By the time I'm recording this, some of the Saturday stuff isn't complete yet, so I want to make sure I had plenty of time to get handicapped and dive on in. Now, we also have an interview with the owner of Louisiana Downs, Kevin Preston. We played this interview on social media earlier today, so the audio from that interview will be here right before we talk Saturday Louisiana Downs. Chad Cooper was not able to join this week because of the early schedule, so I'll go over what happened in wrestling, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, AEW, good buzz all over the world of wrestling right now. We finish up with our deep dive of Thor Love and Thunder with Tim Kelly, and now we are all caught up uh, with all of the recent Marvel MCU movies, TV shows. She-Hulk will actually debut the day that this podcast comes out later that evening, so me and Tim will start having our week-by-week podcast deep dives for She-Hulk. That'll start next week. So, you get NFC North team previews, Friday Racing Saratoga Del Mar, Saturday Racing Louisiana Downs, interview with Louisiana Downs owner Kevin Preston, This Week in Wrestling, and Thor Love and Thunder on a loaded episode of That's What G Said that is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets. Go give them a follow and flip on those notifications. Free analysis each and every day for you. I host live streams, and as the NFL season approaches, there is so much content coming up, and all of it's free over at BTV. little bit of news, too, before we get into our uh, NFC uh, preview, and NFC North preview. LeBron agrees to a two-year, $97.1 million extension. That includes a third-year player option. Now, you may not like LeBron. You may have rooted against him. But, wow. For someone to come from nothing, he wasn't a part of some famous family. That's what is really great about being in a situation where you are rewarded for being super talented. I mean, the only reason why LeBron makes this kind of money and he's going to become the the highest paid NBA player in history is because he's worth it. In fact, he's probably underpaid for as much money as he brings in, attention as he brings in, and whether you agree or not with everything he does, this is someone who has given back quite a bit, and he's fun to root against. He's good for the game of basketball. Two more years on the Lakers. The extension includes a 15% trade kicker. I'm just reading through the uh, Woj, Woj article in ESPN. So now he is the highest earning player in NBA history, $532 million in career guaranteed money. No trade clause, um, or he cannot be traded this year, and you know it'll all depend on what is going to happen now with the Lakers leading into the uh, the season. Can they find a way to make a trade for Westbrook? 
Or do they have to just kind of suck it up with Westbrook and they have uh, LeBron and AD for two more years after that? Westbrook is off the books and then they go try to spend up for uh, the last couple for LeBron. News for the Lakers. Now, the rumor for a while, and LeBron has said that he would like to play with his son, Bronny, who is entering his senior year of high school. Now, <laughs> LeBron has college eligibility, right? LeBron hasn't played in college. Can he go back and play in college with him? But he, he has said that he wants to play with Bronny if uh, Bronny's able to make it to the NBA in a couple years. So that is the LeBron news, signing that extension with the Lakers. Let's start talking some NFL news now as we dive into our team-by-team previews. We're going to talk Packers, Vikings, Lions, and Bears. We talk NFC North with Eric. Flying through our NFL team-by-team previews, we're going to break down the NFC North this week with Eric Etoft. 2-1 Sports, who uh, joins us each and every week. Make sure to check out all the great content there that Eric provides. I, hey, finally got a winner on your show, man. It's been a lot of bad ones, but it, what's nice about horse racing is one nine-to-one shot makes up for a lot of the, the losses, so you don't have to hit too many of those to make up for some weeks in between. Nah, great call by you. You know, if you're hitting a nine-to-one-er, you know, that's, that's ROI, and if you're looking at the total picture, you know, if you're betting, let's say you bet 10 bucks, Hundred bucks, right? The one you've given out. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're up. You're up. You're up. So you can't. You know, you're you're up. So you can't complain. So, and that's what the name of the game is all about. So now, after I've patted myself on the back a little bit right off the right off the bat to get it started, let's get into the Packers, the Vikings, the Lions, and the Bears. Eric is a Lions fan, so this is this is going to be a fun division for us to talk about because. He'll have a lot to, to say about the Lions when we get there. They're also a team that's on hard knocks this year. So I'm sure a few of you out there have probably seen the first couple episodes and um, you may know a few of the players a little bit more and maybe you feel like you know Coach Dan Campbell a little bit better. Let's start with the Packers. Man, I don't I don't know when it's going to end for Rodgers, but one of these years I feel like he's just going to get to the like, I don't give an F anymore mode. The way he talks now, it's not like he did five years ago. I'm sure he's always sort of been this type of person, but he just seems to care less and less about football every year and more and more about taking drugs and his way of thinking and this and self-consciousness and weird things. He's still super talented. The guy was awesome last year. But this year, Eric, they're not going to have the weapons of as far as pass catchers as he's had in recent years. They have a Really weak group of wide receivers Not necessarily anything fantastic The tight end spot if Tanyan's going to be Banged up which he's already a little bit banged Up and You know defensive side I think maybe they'll be a little bit better than you Will than you do on that side of the ball but they still Have some questions let's dive into the Packers here so what do we see they're favored To win the division and their win total is Around what are we ten and a half But yeah, right really highly juiced um, Really yeah, high juice ten and a half uh, they're, get, they're getting uh, David Becchieri back, huge for the offensive line, missed last season. Jenkins was everywhere, lined up everywhere on the on the line. Uh, he'll be at the other tackle position. So you got two pretty good bookend tackles. little worried about the middle of the offensive line. I feel, though, with how good the outside tackles are, a lot more outside zone run, which would open up stuff for Aaron Jones, who's more of the outside slasher compared to the inside guy that uh, A.J. Dillon is. A uh, pretty good connection with somebody that's inside the Packers organization. He told me Lazard's going to be the number one guy. Um, 
Aaron Rodgers and Lazard, Watkins, Randall Cobb, Christian Watson. Yeah. That's their Um, group. Since LaFleur has taken over, uh, Aaron Rodgers leads the NFL in audibles. And that's fine because LaFleur gives him that, that freedom. He calls the play and he's like, look, dude, if, if you don't see it, you can audible out of it. That's what Rodgers does. A lot of the stuff that him and Adams were able to do were ad lib stuff just because they knew each other so well, they they were so comfortable. Um, I feel like that's going to be Lazard because you look over Sammy Watkins doesn't know anything about him. You got these rookies, maybe Randall Cobb. But Cobb is a little bit uh, older, can't get off the um, off the break of the used to. I think it's going to be Alan Lazard. The uh, only receiver to have more than 750 yards in a season over the last five years was Randall Cobb with the Cowboys in 2019 when he had 828 yards. Yeah. Um, so I think. Yeah, I mean, it really hasn't put up anything, but Lazard's been there the whole time, and yeah. Rodgers just throws to he's familiar with, and I feel like the person I talked to said it's going to be Lazard. I trust the person. Uh, defense ran uh, more three, four fronts last year. The key to his defense is they need to create pressure. Plackers only bit blitz 21% of the time, which was the eighth uh, eighth fewest. They lost uh, didn't, Darius Smith, uh, Kingsley Kate, and Jonathan Gavin. That's going to create pressure on their first round picks in the defensive front of Devontae White and uh, uh, Walker. The line young kids need to yeah. step up and produce. They're going to need yeah. them to be capable. Now, maybe they are really good, but they have to be. They have to produce in order to to help because, like you said, they they have a ceiling that could be high, but they also have a floor that could be very low. A wide margin for what we could expect on the defensive front. Yeah. And then, you know, you have Jair Alexander, who missed a lot of last year. Kim being back there kind of takes a little bit of pressure. The highest graded was the highest graded cornerback in his last full season of action in 2020 by Pro Football Focus. And so they were already like they were the eighth best coverage grade last year of any team. And then you put Jair Alexander. So that could be a strength for them. Then all of a sudden, if that maybe the young kids on the front of the defense are a little ahead of schedule, you know, um, and Rashawn Gary is able to help them out on the defensive front that could, you know, help them a little bit. So I think they may be more of a, a little more of a defensive team this year than they, and try to lean on, you know, running the ball defense, um, shutting teams down with the secondary. And I, I don't, I just don't know if they're going to be the prolific Efficient offense that we've seen in years past With that group of wide receivers And let's face it Rodgers really isn't that much of a leader He can't really motivate guys he Does he care anymore that, of, that much Yeah a lot of question marks around this team You know if I was forced to make any bet I'd kind of lean a little bit to the under um, You know I just I just don't know There's so many variables that go into this league um, You know Just look at the playoffs If you're telling me that the Packers defense was going to shut out the 49ers the way it did. And they couldn't win that game. They couldn't win that game. Um, I think it could be a little bit of a long year in, uh, in green Bay. Uh, I think they're going to, you know, I I think they're going to struggle to get nine. Um, I'm not really that high in Chicago or Minnesota. Uh, I think that's going to be four gimme. I think Detroit is going to be a a lot tougher than people realize. Uh, I think the schedule, I think there are some spots you can fade them. Yeah, I just, I don't, so Bakhtiari, he had a knee procedure last week, maybe, I mean, if he's not quite 
up to snuff. You know, if the stuff with Rogers, you know, he's getting a little bit older and he's taking Ayakusa and he's doing drugs all over the place, which is just bizarre. I like I could see the path for them to start not being a great football team. And I don't think they're like a 14, 15 win football team where they've they've overachieved in some of the recent years. Your one of your favorite things um that you were mentioning a lot in in some of our um conversations, the Pythagorean win total, they were one of the highest overachievers last year. I think they're they won 13 games and their Pythagorean wins was like nine like in the high nines. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, going to come yeah. back to life. You know, you think about some of the games that they won too. The Cleveland game is the one that sticks out where Cleveland was driving and was going to win and they some bad play calling down the stretch. I don't I don't love them. I really don't. I think they're going to win 10 games, maybe 11. I'm not going to touch their over or under because I think it's still close enough and I'm not nobody else in the division terrifies me, so they still might be better than who they're facing six times out there. But when we go through their schedule, the the start isn't that bad either. At Minnesota, home for Chicago, at Tampa. Maybe you catch Tampa early in the year before, you know, they're really starting to put it all together. You have home against New England. You play new the Giants in London. So they do have a trip to London. And then they play the Jets. So four and two maybe through through yeah. six, maybe even five and one. Who knows? They could they could have a good start to the year. Then things get difficult because they have three road games in a row. And then following those road games. You have teams that might be okay in Dallas and Tennessee, and then two more road games at the very end before a late bye in week 14. So things will get a little more difficult there from week seven through the bye. What did you have them overall? I'm winning nine. Yeah, I mean, I and, and that doesn't – I'm not going to be shocked if they are a team that Midway through the year, we're looking at and just saying, yeah, you know, they have one or two injuries on the defensive side. Their offense isn't quite as good. Bakhtiari's been banged up. That hurts their line a little bit more. And then Aaron Rodgers, this isn't a rebuild. He's not that type of quarterback right now at this stage in his career. You think he's going to want to play like big brother to some of these wide receivers or, you know, when he's trying to throw something for Cobb or for Sammy Watkins and they're not Adams? Yeah. You know, it's. I, I just don't think they're going to be great. I'm just not sure if I'm if they were in a different division where there was even one team that really scared me that I said, okay, I know for sure this team will be better than them. I would go under, but I I, I might play other teams in this division to win the division um, and have some more fun with them. But I just week to week, this is going to be a team I think early on I'm going to try to fade, especially in spots when they're like big chalks or if yeah, they're ever, ever laying big numbers. I'm going to be fading this team a lot until the market kind of catches up with them. There, um, there's certain teams, you know, Cowboys fit in this realm that are just over bet. Uh, Steelers fit in this realm uh, that you just kind of look to fade. And uh, you know, I think the I think the Packers are going to be a good week to week fade if you look to get involved earlier. Just take the uh, the win total under. Any uh, other thoughts on the Packers, my friend? Uh, no. Let's talk about. The Minnesota Vikings, their win total, we have nine and a half. Is that right? Yeah. On the Vikes. And the Vikings will have a new coaching staff coming in. Minnesota Vikings do bring in Zadarius Smith. So with Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith, they could be excellent 
on the defensive front. Their edge rushers could be really, really good. The only problem is both of these guys get banged up a little bit. First two seasons in Green Bay, Smith recorded 144 total pressures, which was fourth in the NFL, and he had uh, passing rush grades above 85. He only played 18 snaps last year, and he had back surgery. Uh, what, What are we going to get from him? And between him and Hunter... It, for them, for a lot of it with them, I think it'll come down to to health too. I mean, I look at each of their units, and it's like defensive front. Hunter seven games last year, torn pec. He missed all of 2020 with a herniated disc. So between the two of them, they were ranked one two in quarterback pressures in 2019. But that was 2019. What can we count on from them? Dalvin Cook. You know how much can we count on from him? Someone who gets banged up each and every year. Then we move their wide receiver room. Jefferson's awesome. Thielen's getting a little bit older. Now, are we going to get the same type of production from him? And then their secondary has 32 and 33-year-olds that they're needing production from. There could be some injury issues with this team, and then they could sort of fall pretty quickly. Yeah, um, I'm not worried about their defense, in all honesty, just because they hired this guy who was a Big Vangio disciple used to be on the Broncos staff. I really think he's going to be able to get this defense where it needs to be. The one thing Vangio has taught us is he's able to take these mid-tier teams. As long as they have someone that can create pressure, they're going to have two people that have the potential to create pressure, get to the quarterback. I'm not worried about their defense. I'm My issue with this team is their offense. Um, you know, I sometimes get some, like, slat. I don't even know if that back talk is even the right term. I look at football like this. Um it's that board game. What is it? Risk. Okay. Each of us have different ways we want to play and it doesn't matter what pieces we have pieces being players. We're going to play the way we want to play. And with the pieces that the Vikings have and what their coach, new coach, Kevin O'Connell want, wants to do. It may not fit. I just don't, it's I like just a puzzle where you have yeah. the puzzle, pe- the wrong pieces for the puzzle, you know? Yeah. And I mean, you just kind of look at, um, you just kind of look at their running back, Delvin Cook. Um, when did his big breakout, when did his production start happening on the NFL level? When the Vikings brought in Rick Dennison and zone. they started using the zone running scheme. Now now they're switching to a power run zone running scheme. So I'm worried about that on a different front, a lot of fronts, just because a power, a power scheme, you need to have bigger dudes. Vikings are a little bit bigger, but they're not really like bulky, thick type of dudes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little bit worried about that. You kind of just look at his history. Like, I mean, the numbers don't lie. He, he didn't take off until they switched to the scheme. Worried about that. Um, and then also kind of, he flat out said, he goes, look, we're going to pass more to set up the run. So already you're taking the ball out of his hands. Cause if you want to pass more to set up the run, what does, what, what essentially are you saying? You're not going to be running the football as much. Am I right? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think he's going to get less carries. I think he's going to get less touches. He's not even really a good pass catcher. So if you have him on there and he's really limited in what he can do, you know what I mean? Just with what he can do, I don't think he's going to be playing that much. I actually bet him under 11, 11, 60.5 rushing yards just because I don't think they're going to be running That's the ball. That's a big number. That is a big That's number. A huge, huge number. Um, They're going to be, they used to run a lot of two tight end sets. Now they're going to run three wide receiver sets. There's only one football. Who is Osborne's targets and reps? Who is that going to talk, cut into? Is he going to cut into Jefferson? Is he going to cut into Thielen? A combination of both. They're going to be running less play action passes. You can say all you want about Kirk Cousins. 
One thing he's really good at is play action passing. So I just like if O'Connor would have came in, like you look at the kid um, who took over for the Dolphins. He's not changing that much. He says he was kind of like, look, you know, you guys have this thing going on. Your offense was a wreck. I'm going to take care of your offense. Defense, everything's fine. I'm keeping the defensive coordinator. We're going to we're going to go with what you guys have. If O'Connell would have came in, he would have had that mindset and just want to like kind of switch the defense and kind of kept what they had offensively. I would be a lot higher on this team. I think this offense is going to struggle an insane amount with what O'Connell's trying to do. And let's let's look at it. I mean, like if you pull up Kevin O'Connell's like coaching resume, besides being the OC for the um, for the Rams, where McVeigh basically does everything, what has he done? Nothing. I yeah, mean, <laughs> like, like nothing. absolutely nothing. Like, nothing. Like, ab- he, absolutely, he, positively nothing. I, I mean, I'm worried about their offensive line a little bit, too, because they're bringing a lot of the offensive line back from last year. That was awful. They have Derisaw that they're hoping to step forward. But Cleveland, Bradbury, this is not the strongest offensive line. They should be a little bit better, maybe, than they were. But that's not something to lean on. Now, major positive, obviously, Justin Jefferson continues to take a big step forward. He's awesome, really, in any type of coverage. He'll go get the ball, and he's he's a total stud. So, legit stud on regular football, fantasy, you know, they they say they're going to throw the ball a lot this year. You know, is he someone that you'd be willing to invest a high pick in? See, that's the thing. I mean, there's a Because he's a first-round pick, right? I mean— or at the there's back end of round there. one, or, you know, he's right there. I mean, like, here's the thing. It's funny because I'm working on my wide receiver rankings. I have to send out to everybody by the end of the weekend. And, I mean, like, there's just so many question marks. I mean, Cooper Cup, I mean, like, I would take Cooper Cup first if I had a wide receiver pick. But, like I said, like, Justin Jefferson, they're changing their offense. There's another wide receiver running around. You know what I mean? Like, I think what we saw from Justin Jefferson last year – was his absolute ceiling. And that means and, he can only go down. And it's not like a Cooper Cup ceiling. Cooper Cup drops by 30%. He's still the highest scoring fantasy football player last year. So I don't know. There's a there's just so many questions with this Vikings offense. And it's just a complete just wash for me to stay away. So uh the Vikes, you know, if Cook is healthy and if this staff is able to, you know, be a little bit better than we think. The division isn't the strongest in the entire world. I mean, I'm worried about their secondary, though. They're older, like we said, with Harrison Smith and Patrick Peterson. I have a lot of worries about their defensive front, staying healthy, um, question marks about their offensive line. So there just aren't there that many spots. I guess their linebackers, Kendricks, um, and they brought in Jordan Hicks. So, you know, maybe in the in the middle of their defense, they could be okay. And you're not worried too much about their defense as much as their offense. Let's dive into the schedule a little bit. Weeks one through six, they play all three divisional opponents at home, but they also have a couple tough road games at Philly, at Miami, and they play in London against New Orleans. So that's a road game, but it's actually listed as a home game. They're playing, you know, in or they're playing in London week four. So weeks 11 through 16, they look a little bit better on paper because you have five out of six games at home. So maybe that's a, a stretch where they can start to get a little bit more comfortable and start to play a little bit better football, not having to travel around as much young coach, maybe finding his footing more towards the end of the year. 
I I have this team honestly at like eight and nine. Um, I don't I, even know if they're I a five hundred team. I've won at six. I yeah, think they're really going to struggle. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned their schedule. Um, you know, like right after the bye, I know they have Arizona right after the bye, but Arizona has ten day rest because they play a Thursday night game, so that kind of washes out the advantage. You got Washington. A lot of questions about Washington. What is Wentz going to look like? Uh, does the defense build on the momentum they had from last year? Right after that, the Bills. That's going to be a tough game. Dallas, obviously going to be a tough game. New England, tough game. Play the Jets. I mean, like, we Jets, I you know, like with the Beckton news, offensive line won't be as good. They should be able to win that game. Detroit, you know, I think Detroit's going to be sneaky good this year. I think Detroit's vastly undervalued. Uh, you have the Colts. You have the Giants. You have the You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've been... I have them getting three at least in the division because I think they can split. I think those I have them splitting with Detroit and beating the Bears twice. I think they can do that right off the bat to start. Then can they win one of the two with Green Bay? Maybe that's why I have them getting the eight. But yeah, I would never play like their over win total. I don't think I don't think this is a playoff team. And I'm I'm just I'm a little bit concerned at them staying healthy in the defensive front. If they don't stay healthy in the defensive front and they can't put pressure on and the secondary is going to be a little bit weak, then they could just be the type of team they were last year where they're in these kind of shootout games. You know, they have some fun offensive weapons. So if it's games where Cook is healthy and Jefferson's there and if Thielen's in the mix, then yeah, sure, they can, you know, but they might be able to score some points. But I don't know what they'll be able to do like efficiently. Consistently what kind of level They'll be operating on especially being led By Kirk Cousins so I'm I'm kind of cold on them this year I'm I'm not as cold as you are but I just think like I think their Their ceiling is like a 500 team To maybe being a You know a a Sneak in playoff team in a bad NFC that might be able to have teams That get in with eight or nine wins Like that's that's sort of their ceiling I just I don't I don't think they're a double-digit win team. I don't necessarily think they're as bad as a a four-win team that we may talk about in just a bit. Um, anything else you want to hit on the Vikes? Uh, no. Only thing I like is that Cook under. Cook, yeah, that's a, that's a huge number for Cook. Let's talk about your Detroit Lions. So Lions on hard knocks right now, if you want to check a little bit more about them out. Kind of I still good need fun. to watch. I, I yeah. It's a good fun energy. I just watched the both of them uh, before you and I are recording uh, not long before, and it seems like a lot of players are they they get Dan Campbell, they understand that he's goofy, but it seems that they all appreciate the fact that he works hard and he, he cares about them. He's down there doing push-ups himself and doing up downs, and they're laughing and it's goofy, and they do this thing where everybody comes up and sings at the end, and they, there's a there's a fun energy with this team, and what they have. Eric, which is nice to start with. They have an offensive line that has a ceiling to possibly be one of the better offensive lines in the entire league. I mean, it is legitimately that good when you look at rankings and what some of the uh, the sites that rank individual units have. Pro Football Focus has them ranked third. Three first-rounders, a highly paid free agent. Uh, they look primed to recoup big time on their investments. High end talent in uh, Ragno and Penny Sewell. They both can be top five players at their positions, and they don't have any glaring holes. They brought in Big V. Uh, Big V was the unit's lowest graded starter, and he still got a pretty good mark when you compare it overall. So this could be a major strength for them, and that should help them at least have a nice floor to be able to move the ball and maybe keep Jared Goff out of getting hit 
five plus times, or I mean, out of getting sacked five plus times every game. Yeah. Um, back to Campbell. I think Campbell, as long as he has good coordinators, can be a successful coach in the league. I was mm-hmm. uh, at first um, a little bit down on the hire, but I think, it, like I said, as long as you have people there um, around him that know their stuff, X is always type guy. I think they'll be fine. Um, offensive line, if they can stay healthy, I think it's huge. Um, you got two good tackles in uh, Decker and Sewell. You got um, who I found out Sewell's, Sewell's old man follows me on Twitter. No big deal, whatever. Uh, you got Frank the Tank at center. Love that guy. I think he's one of the best. I'll, I'll say it. He's the, a top three center in the league. Um, they're going to lean on the offensive line a lot. They're going to run the ball a lot. You look at their offense, offense, you know, they got DJ Shark, they got Hawkinson coming back, they got St. Brown. Um, you know, they have weapons on the outside. I really like, I think they're insanely undervalued. The key for them, obviously, is just going to be their defense. Is Hutch going to be able to come in? Is he going to be able to get to the quarterback? Is Jeff Ledula going to be able to make that next step? Because um, Okuda, they are. Yeah. Third, third year for Okuda, awesome prospect. Bad rookie year, then he gets hurt last year. So he may look like a different. Yeah, third year's DBs make their stuff. He may look like a totally different player, but if if not, like they need him to be really good and really productive. Up front, you know, you've got uh, Onwazurki, McNeil, then obviously Hutchinson you bring in, Pascal, Akwara. They're high level prospects, but not a whole lot of proven. Can a couple yeah, of those guys so, hit? That's all you need, right? A couple guys of those to you hit. Need, you just need, like, two guys to hit. Two of and, them. And, like, if you can get to the quarterback, it's going to band-aid a lot of issues. So we're um, at six and know, a half for their their total, yeah, right? Yeah, you mentioned golf. I mean, like, 11 to 2 TD to INT ratio with a 68 completion percentage. I'm absolutely fine with that because it's not a big play offense. It's not a stretch the field offense. You know what I mean? No. It's not like the way Campbell likes to play, you run the ball, you limit possessions. Um, that's, that's all you do. And, um, he, to put it in perspective, he was never a play caller and he took over for Anthony Lynn and toward the back end of the season, Goff looked a lot more comfortable in the offense. Uh, Johnson's going to be taking over the play calling, play calling stuff now. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think this team, like if you just kind of write down every team's issues, I think this team has the less chaos and the most stability right now, top to bottom. So with that being said, you know, I did play them four to one in case the Packers do win the division and they they get in this as one of the wild card teams to make the playoffs. But I definitely think they're worth a gamble at 10 to one to uh, to win the division. I think there's value there. And you just kind of look at everyone's inefficiencies. This team is the light least. The backs, if Swift can stay healthy with Swift and with Williams, that's not a bad one too. the defensive front. You know, with some high upside talent, the defensive backside with some high upside talent there, the wide receivers with some high upside talent. When you're a team that struggles for a a lot of years, you end up getting high draft picks. And those players, a lot of times, are going to end up turning talented. Bring in Chark now. That should help this group. So you have Chark, Amon Ra with Hawkinson to start the season. And then you're going to bring back the uh, you're going to bring back Jamison Williams at what are, what are we saying at what point of the year right now? I probably say six or seven. Week six or there. seven. Yeah. So and then let's not forget they have Josh Reynolds. 
who has a connection from golf from the Rams games. Mm-hmm. They had Cespedes, who looked good before he got hurt. Um, you know, so they have, they have talent there. They also, uh, Devin Funchess, they turned him into a tight end. So he's hot, hot back up now. This team's got some wheels. They got some talent offensively. I think they're insanely, you know, undervalued. I think that, you know, they're going to be in a good position because of everything going on. And they're the, like I said, they have the least amount of chaos in the whole division. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I kind of like them and you kind of just kind of look at their schedule. They're the one team in the NFL that doesn't play anybody that's coming off extended rest. Their schedule is fantastic, man. They've got three of their first four games at home right off the bat to start. That's nice. Not a whole lot of travel. Listen to some of the games that are on their schedule home game against Washington. You don't know what we're going to get from Washington this year home game against Seattle. That's very winnable two games with the bears who might be the worst team in football. They could absolutely win both of those games against the Bears. They have a game at the Giants. That's a winnable game. A home game versus the Jaguars. That's a winnable game. Road games at the Jets, who might be really bad. At Carolina, we don't really know what to expect from them. They play Green Bay in Week 18, where it may be a situation if Green Bay locked something up and they're maybe sitting players if they have a a spot secured. I mean, even some of the games that might be a little tougher on paper that you, you look at and you see Miami... Philly and the Vikings, you know, they play those teams at home. Those are games that may, maybe you sneak out a win or two. I I have them winning like eight, nine games, honestly. And I think they can, they, I feel better about them than the Vikings. I would, I would play into their upside a little bit more than I would the Vikings because they're younger, because it seems like there's a little bit more of a buzz and they have some good energy and I like their schedule quite a bit. If they don't start 0 and 3, I think they're in good shape. Can they can they start 1 and 1? Can they split the first two games at home with Philly and Washington? I think they can. I think it's going to take Philly a little bit of time to figure it out cuz he brought in a big pretty big piece with AJ Brown. Mm-hmm. Um I think Philly caught a lot of people off guard with their running attack, so I think that's a good position. Uh you know, when Scottley knows what's happening with him, uh you know, Commanders have some issues on the offensive end. Uh, Antonio Gibson uh, already benched, uh, already running with the second string, already been leaped for frog over. So yeah, they definitely got some issues there. Uh, Minnesota, I'm as I said, I'm really not that high in Minnesota. Then you go to Seattle. I mean, they this team could easily be four and zero going to play New England. That stretch, the start isn't bad, man. It isn't. It's like it just. What I like about it is it doesn't look like there's any stretches, at least on paper, where you automatically go, oh, damn, that's like four losses in a row. Yeah. Right? There's the one stretch that might be a little bit tough, but it's right after their bye, which is nice, right? You go at Dallas, and then you have home games against Miami and Green Bay. Now, you're probably underdogs in those games at home, but I don't think either one of those teams is unbeatable. And so, man, like, this, their talent in their schedule compared to Minnesota's with their schedule, like I'll take Detroit all day of the week. And if I'm looking at teams to play in this division, I'm not going to play the Bears because I think they're going to be awful. I'm not going to play the Packers because I don't I think they're going to be quite that good. And I'm never going to play a team that's like a heavy favorite like that. It's not smart. 
And I, we were talking right now how neither one of us are that high on the Vikings. Sort of by process of elimination in this division, you look at the Lions as a team that if you think they're a team that's a six or seven win team, all they have to do is flip two of those games to be a playoff team, possible playoff team, and right there in the mix. That's not much. So I, they're the most fun team to take a shot on here. I don't know if I'm going to lock in the 10 to one like you did. I will be playing this team a lot I think week to week I really do because they feel like a team That will overachieve They were one of the best cover teams last year What were they 11-6 and six against the spread? Yeah they're a great cover team I think they really got some value And I think uh, I think it's finally going to be You know dare I say my year to get a playoff game Well let's keep our fingers crossed That everybody stays healthy Because Goff isn't perfect Goff had the, lo- the lowest A dot The average depth of target Of any quarterback last year Now Couple things one as you said that's not the, Really the way that they want to play So you're not going to see him taking Big big strikes anyways but They do need to At least tease That it's like in the NBA right They have to be able to 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 Have that wrinkle to have A St. Brown or one Or shark stretch the field and Be able to make that connection once or twice Just to keep the defenses honest Because otherwise if they're not able to do that If they're just dinking and dunking a little bit And then the boxes get packed Then it's going to make it a little tougher to run the ball Even with that good offensive line If they can just stretch the field A little bit more for Goff With all the time in the world to throw Behind this offensive line I don't think he's as bad as a lot of others do I don't think Goff is like the worst Quarterback in the league I don't think he's a guy that can necessarily elevate you A whole heck of a lot But if you put him in this spot with a good offensive line, a couple of good backs, and if they get some competent play calling, and you know he can have a chemistry with Shark, and you get a little more improvement and a little more step forward from Amon Ra, and then the rookie shows back up middle of the season and he's able to contribute, well now could Goff lead a team like this to to the playoffs or to win ten games or so? Sure, could he be the guy to take them to the next level after that? Well, that's a different question. He's good enough to lead him to the playoffs. I agree. Anything after that, no, I don't. I don't really think so. Yeah, but me neither. But we don't. You don't know. Shown, you know. Yeah, I mean, he can do that shown, at least. Yeah, I mean, he's shown with competent coaching, he's serviceable. Mm-hmm. Especially with the the key for me with him is having a good offensive line because he's not fleet of foot. He's not someone that's going to be throwing great on the run and moving around and throwing across his body and. And when the plays break down, he's going to make plays. He's not if if the uh, there are good plays being called, good routes run. If your receivers win their win the routes, he he'll hit them. He's accurate. Yeah. He's a he's a plenty accurate quarterback. It's just when he has to make all the decisions. We were talking with Kyle earlier on, on BTV when we did our recording, and I do agree with Kyle. And that sometimes his decision making. Late in games, or if he's got to call an audible, that's where you can get in trouble. But if he can just sit back. And here's my A, here's my B, here's my C options. Boom, boom, look, look. Okay, I'm going to go here. I This is one of the more fun teams that I've looked at in all of our previews so far. Not that I think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but they are going to be a fun week-to-week watch. And n- nobody was talking about the Bengals last year. Again, I'm not saying they're going to get to the Super Bowl like the Bengals, but every year there is a team or two that takes a big leap. Maybe it's this team in a division with some other questions that doesn't look that strong on paper. I think you have some reason to be a little excited about your squad this year, buddy. 
Uh, you know what? I think, you know, I think we got a chance. I think we got a chance to make some noise. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You know, if they make the playoffs, I'll definitely, uh, definitely be there in person. Okay, let's finish up the NFC North with the Chicago Bears. Is this the worst team in football? By far. I just... Uh, I, I, here's the thing, like, everyone says, like, why can't they get a top head coach? Um, they were the Haskies, or has whatever the team owner's name is, I'm the, spacing on it. Um, they require Saturday Night Mass, the coach, to go to it. Uh, which, why would you, like, you know, if you're one of these top tier coaches, like, why are you going to want to do that? Doesn't you're just not suck, you're not succumbing yeah. to demands when you're a top coach. Um, you're the one that makes the demands. Uh, they've kind of shown this history when kind of anyone kind of gets a little bit bigger for the uh, for them, they kind of get rid of them. Um, you know, I just there's a lot of as long as they have the current ownership that they have, this team's going to have some issues. Um, you know, I got I got my own theory of what they're doing with Fields. Um, I think they're really setting them up to fail. Uh, not really adjusting the offensive line to the back. Because you were you were saying this and, that quarterback class next year is really strong. Then the new the new staff can go out and get their own guy. Yeah. And I mean, I'll say this, like I thought Fields was better than Lawrence. I think he's being insanely his, set up to fail here. His second um, half of the year last year, he really showed massive improvements. Like he was much yeah. better against pressure. He was much better at reading things. Wow. Can you believe it, Eric? A young kid gets a little bit better towards the end of the year. And how many times last year did we talk about getting set up to fail his coaching staff wasn't doing him any favors last year. And they had no sets for him when he came in. Nothing. They had no different style. schemes at all for a completely different just, style quarterback. Between him and Andy Dalton, they could not be two more different style quarterbacks, and they had nothing ready for him to run. Nothing. I mean, I with where I live, I'm privy to a lot of guys that have played to the Bears. One of the guys, pretty good friend. Um the stories he tells me about Nagy are just absolutely mind-blowing. The stories I hear are just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, you know, Eberfuse, I really think he does have his own issues. Uh, you know, you just kind of look at it. You need to come up with a defensive scheme against the Jaguars to shut them down. You couldn't do it. That's a pretty big worry point for me. Um, offensively, you know, offensively. Where line, are they good? Where are issues. they good? The one thing is, is like, and I know like, Herbert's kind of getting a little fantasy buzz, but if you kind of look at it, Montgomery averaged a whole yard better running in zone running than power yeah, running yeah. last year when they're so combo. their backfield so could be a strength, Montgomery, right? Montgomery could have, could have some value. Um, Daryl Mooney, like let's be, I so Mariano's is the grocery store out here in Chicago. I live in the Chicago suburbs. Um, I live in the suburb right next to where the Bears practice facility is. So I see these guys literally all the time. Um, I was in the Mariano's, which is like. I don't know what your, the big grocery store where you live is, but that's like the big grocery store. Yeah, Ralph's, you know, oh, or Vaughn's oh, okay. or something like, like yeah, that. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like you see these guys all the time there. So I'm there, and he's listed as 5'11", okay? I'm 6'2", and I towered over Mooney. So he's a small he's guy. A he's one, like, he's yeah. your one, your number one wide receiver. Yeah. He He's going to – the same thing that happened to Juju is going to happen to him. He's really going to struggle, and there's no number one there. Um, so their wide receivers him. are him, Byron Pringle, Tajay Sharp, Valus Dunes Jr., Equinamius St. Brown. They brought in uh, Nikhil Harry, and he's already gotten hurt early on. Um, Brian Pringle's already had a quad injury. Valus Jones has been in and out of practice. And I don't, I don't really think 
all that much of Cole Komet. I mean, he may just by process of elimination be a guy who who catches he more balls than he, than he ever has he before because there's nothing there. But he's not someone that you're going to lean on as like a major playmaker. Here's a, to be a lead at the NFL level, you have to be able to do something to create separation. He can't sep- create separation. He doesn't have a good hands to be a reliable uh, red zone or like chain mover on third down. Can't high point a ball. Plus, he was from Arlington Heights, which is a suburb here in Chicago. Uh, he was drafted by the previous regime just as kind of like, hey, you know, I'm drafting a local kid. That was basically the only reason why they drafted him. Yeah. I thought it was an awful pick then. Um, he really hasn't anything to prove me wrong. Um, the thing in the in the here. trenches, right? Football, all the cliches. Football is one in the trenches. Uh, you know, you got to have great line play. They and, they are in contention for the worst on both sides. They might have and, the worst offensive line and the worst defensive line. And the thing with Eberfus, his thing is creating pressure without blitzing. And no Akeem hits, no Mac. Um, yeah, just there's a lot of stuff here. I'm really down on this team. I think they're going to be the worst team in football, and it's going to. They may it. trade Robert it's, Quinn and and uh, uh, Roquan Smith, who are like their two veteran defensive players. Smith is, I mean, they they could be really, really bad. Just really they're gonna be, bad. They're going to be the worst team in the NFL. I mean, I think their under is a, I I absolutely love their under, which is now moved to like five and a half last time I looked and I saw it at like plus 125. I'm, I'm playing that right now as we speak and probably look to even juice uh, other adjusted numbers because I mean, we start going through their lineup. I mean, I I don't, I see their first win coming week six. I think that's, I literally think that's the best. The short week, the Thursday game where they catch Washington. The thing about that Texans I agree game with you. is, look, Lovey Smith, he got done insanely dirty in this town. He got the insanely raw end of the deal here. That is the Lovey Smith revenge game. I think that the Texans just have a plain better roster on paper yeah. than, than the Bears do also. And the Bears are not – maybe they do in a fluky way. I, I'm, there's no way I could pick them to win a road game. Maybe when we get in the season and they're bad and their lines start getting inflated, this is a team that you and I come about week six or seven are going to start having to bet, which sucks. I can see it right now. We're going to have to because you know what's going to happen when they're that bad early. They're going to get up to like plus 12, plus 14 and a half. And that's those are the numbers when we're going to be like, ah, oh, crap. Like we have to dive yeah. in. But they, I mean, any road game, I don't think they can win. Even road games like at the Giants, why are they going to beat the Giants? Why are they beating the Patriots or Dallas? I mean, I don't I've got them winning four games and I thought that was being generous. This team could be a team that I mean, they could be really really bad. The only way this team is better than what we're saying and and this what we're and we are just dead wrong is if Justin Fields is just incredible and takes this unbelievable step forward and he can run and make stuff happen and win some games with his legs, but I don't man, I like if you told me what's more likely them to win six games or them to win zero games, I would probably say I would zero. Say, I don't. I, know, I don't I know if they can get this. Too. Yeah, I don't think they could get to six. I have them winning four. You know, we'll see yeah. what happens. You know, I have them winning four. I think there's value on betting the betting the under and you know taking them to 
be the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, man. This is a bad football team. I, it's one of those where I'm now doing my overall stuff, but I've kind of been because we started our team previews, you know, a month ago. So I've kind of been going along for the most part, each division and, and diving in division by division. It sort of makes it a little bit easier. But, but, then when you get a, a snapshot of the whole league, when you've kind of got all of your work done as you've gotten through each of these teams and you start comparing, I didn't realize how bad this roster was. I really, I really didn't. And in, in, in some of the spots on the defense and like the offensive line, they lost players from last year and this didn't, didn't add. I, uh, yeah, this, this is going to be an ugly, ugly team to watch. So the lions, man, Feel it feels fun at least right now. Who knows? In a month or two, maybe we're talking differently. But at least you get this feeling right now, where you haven't had this feeling very many times with them. Like there's some upside. The trajectory is there. It's a positive, and you feel that way with them. And think about the other three teams in the division. The Bears, you certainly don't feel that way with. The Packers don't feel like that with everything that's been going on with Aaron Rodgers. And the Vikings are total are kind of a, a total wild card. So. It's a good schedule, and hey, man, let's see if the Lions can get a little feisty this year. Hey, man, restore the war. You know, we'll see if we can get it done. Okay, well, I look forward to uh, having some fun talking Lions with you all throughout the season. Eric, tell us what's uh, what's coming up for you this weekend and some of the shows. You've got the Tuesday show each week, which uh, we're recording. You and I have been normally recording this on Thursdays. We're recording it a day early this week. We're recording it on Wednesday. So uh, let everybody know what's coming up uh, this week for you. Um, I'm kind of taking the weekend off. No podcast this week. Uh, so Calm before the you know. storm, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I'll be back Tuesday with my uh, with my stream. Uh, you know, it's been fun so far. You know, I've had some great guests. Uh, you know, you're on there every week, handing out a horse racing bet. Uh, giving you a fantasy football player to avoid. You know, I went in depth uh, why Jameis is going to win win a championship this year from someone who drafts him in the 13th round last week. This past week, it's this current week, excuse me. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun, you know, and I'll be back this uh, this Tuesday. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can keep uh, people tuning in and having a good time. Thank you so much, buddy. Look forward to uh, talking with you again on uh, on Tuesday next week. Giving out a horse racing play, and then we'll have you back here to finish up. Man, we're done next week. NFC West, and then we're uh, we're in the books. So we will have all of our teams finished, and then how about we do the week before? If you're up for it, how about we just kind of do a fantasy look in? We can go through the positions, maybe you know, wide receivers, a few that we like, a few to avoid, maybe running backs, quarterbacks, tight ends. Throw a defense or two out there, and then we'll have uh, everyone all set and. Uh, Ready to rock. We I look forward to talking about uh each and every NFL game with you this season, man. It's gonna be a blast. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, my friend. Well, uh, you will hear Eric with me here each week previewing every single NFL game. We won't have a play on every single game. It would be crazy for anyone too, but we'll tell you our, I don't know, four or five games each week that we focus in on, that we really want to dive in on, how we're going to be attacking those games and and then We'll set you up for all the other games Even if we're not playing them We'll dive into what happened Maybe leans Maybe if numbers move a little bit We'll just give you all of the information That we gather Um, I love NFL season I love talking football And we are just about here Thank you so much buddy Have a uh, nice weekend And we'll uh, we'll talk again next week Sounds good Talk soon You know where to follow Eric Check out all of his great content And don't go anywhere folks Still a lot more to come on this episode
horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone. Cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next. And then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. It's a big weekend in Stable Duel games. Let's talk about what's happening from Thursday on. So Thursday, the Road to the Queen's Plate series begins. Now, here's how this series develops. Play this week's Road to the Queen's Plate series from Woodbine. You could win free game entries as well as the cash prizes. Entries grow as your skill grows each day. Play on Thursday for only $2. Finish in the top 10, you get a free entry into the next series contest. Finish in the top 3, then you get a free $50 entry into Sunday's finale, which has a $5,000 guaranteed pool. Same format for Friday and Saturday if you want to qualify Friday-Saturday to get in. That is at Woodbine, the Queen's Plate series. And the Queen's Plate up at Woodbine is on Sunday. So qualifying games Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in order to try to Get in, uh, win your way into that big game. 
Now, Thursday, you can also play at Delaware, Horseshoe Indy, Del Mar, and Penn National. Friday, remember Friday morning, we have our summer stream. This weekend in Stable Duel with Barry Spears and with Matt DeSantis. Every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. It's on Twitter. It's live. We give you best bets for Friday and for Saturday. Every horse that we give out on that show is 5-1 to or over. So if you want to come and just jot down, check it out. A bunch of prices, horses that maybe weren't on your radar. Give them another look. Throw some of them in your pick fours, pick fives, and use them in your Stable Duel lineups. That's Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Follow me, it's me, Gino B, and that will come up live on the stream. Now, uh, Friday, you also have options at Monmouth, Ellis, Del Mar, and then the big night in at Penn National. There's a $2,000 game. It's a $20 entry on Friday evening. Saturday, Woodbine and Del Mar will be the focus, and then the big Queen's Plate game on Sunday, the Crown Jewel, a $50 entry, $5,000 in prizes, or you can try to win your way in with some of the qualifiers. Lots going on this weekend over at Stable Duel. Let's talk about some racing for Friday. Let's dive on in to Friday, Saratoga. Let's dish out some best bets for Friday, Saratoga, for Friday, Del Mar, and then we'll head on over and talk some Saturday racing from Louisiana. Saratoga for Friday. We're looking at August the 19th. I'm looking at races 5, 7, 8, and 9. So if you want to follow along or you want to check out your past performances, race number 5, I'm going to go to the number 1, Nicholas James. I just think he has an opportunity to steal this race from the inside. Should send hard. He was slightly off the pace last time out going 6. Now he draws the rail going 7. There's not that much other early speed in here. I think he should get the lead. He's 9-2. to two. If he's anything over 3-1, to one, he's worthy of a win wager. Let's move to race number 7. For Friday Saratoga First level allowance going 5.5 furlongs on the turf I like the 7 in here Kyroni She had a brutal start and completely missed the break In her last race And that was her first time trying 5.5 furlongs So she was cutting back She You knew she would be off the pace and further back than she's been recently And then she completely misses the break And she just outrun early She had to expend so much energy Just getting back into contention She ends up being a little dull late But in this race If she has just a smooth beginning And she doesn't have to You know Use all that energy just to get back into contention We could see Speed from the 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, and 10 That could set up nicely For an off the pace rally Let's give her a shot Making her second start at this short sprint distance We've only seen her at 7 furlongs A mile and a 16th for the bulk of her career And then she went the, on the cutback Last time out and just had no shot After that slow start Number 7, Kyroni's 15-1 to 1. I thought she was more like an 8-10-1 to 10 to 1 shot In here, so anything in that range That's fair to play Let's move to the Summer Colony Mile and an eighth for Phillies and Mares, four-year-olds and up This race came back strong You have Army, Ray, uh, Army Wife and Vuitton you have Bonnie South all in here, leader of the band. Actually, like the number five first to act. She's only raced four times, so she's lightly raced with some upside. Her debut, she's in the slop. She's second. She comes back in her second start at Aqueduct and she wins at a mile. Third start, again, she hooks a good, uh, again, off track. She was bumped at the start from the rail. She actually recovered pretty well. Then she runs into some traffic when she wanted to go. She just buried inside. She maneuvers through traffic 
and she's second behind Brattlehouse, who was five clear already at the top of the lane when she got a chance to run. Then in her most recent race, first to act settles nicely inside. She's fourth. She's about two or three lengths off. She's traveling pretty well, and she wanted to go. She had the tap on the brakes. She got an inside seam, and she moved closer. She angles to the outside. The top two had opened up about three or four lengths. She didn't look like she was going to be able to run them down. All of a sudden, she like switches out and is able to straighten out a little bit, and she just kicks into gear. It's really impressive and just crushes. She looks like she can run all day long. First to act. Six to one on the morning line. Anything over four would be willing to make a win wager there. And moving to the ninth, I'm going to look at the number two in here, Radiant Gem. Put a line through the last two times she was on a good turf course. July 29th, May 15th. Then what do you see? Her last two win, two wins in a row going a mile. Her other two races are wins at Belmont going a mile in a 16th, breaking the maiden. Races that were pretty comparable to what it would take to win this. I mean, she beat a $50,000 claiming group. And she got bumped around going into the first turn. She was crowded in the first furlong. She lost positioning. She was just never comfortable. And the winner that day was sitting close up right off the pace. I'm expecting a bounce back performance from the number two Radiant Gem. She's 8-1. to one. Anything over 5 would make a win wager there. So that is Friday, Saratoga. Best of luck there on Friday at Saratoga. Let's head on over and talk a little bit about Del Mar. Del Mar Friday. Let's take a look at races 2, 5, and 7. So race number 2. I'm looking at the number 9 in here, Danzig Star Storm, who's going to add the blinkers. She was coming into the Brian Corner barn for the first time on July the 1st, and it was her first start on the dirt. She raced twice up at Golden Gate on the synthetic, and those races were actually against Maiden Special Weights, an open company. So she comes to LoSal, tries the dirt, tries a Calbred Maiden 50 claimer. She's a step slow. She's wide. She's in between horses. She's fifth, and she's about three lengths off. She gets shuffled out of that in-between spot. She angles out four deep, widest of all, was right up into contention, just a little even late. She ends up just missing third. I thought it was a pretty good performance and something to build on. Corner's really good with these younger runners and uh, a little unlucky so far at the meet with some minor awards that could start to trend the other way. I'm expecting a good performance from the nine Danzig's Star Storm 8-1 to one on the morning line. Anything over six, we'd make a win wager there. Let's move to race number five at Del Mar on Friday. This is... A Calbred Maiden Special Weight going a mile on the turf. I like the two Magic Game. Her last start was on June the 11th. And she was right with the early leaders. She backed up to fourth in between. She got shuffled a little bit. She had nowhere to go. And she tried to move to the outside, then back inside. She was still trying hard late, and she was buried. Two starts back on May the 22nd. She was in post nine. She had a five start, but she was just hooked wide. All the way around and never really had a shot. Her debut was good. She fits pretty well in here. She's 6-1. to one, And if she's anything over 4, I'll make a win wager on her. Let's move to the 7th race. It's the it's a stakes race here. The CTT and TOC. 
going along on the turf. Niji Blanche is no doubt the one to beat. But if you take her out, the rest of this field is kind of competitive in, in their speed figures. And one of the horses who I think is just a cut below and may may be able to step right up to, to what would be able to win this thing. Macadamia comes off of a trouble trip on July the 22nd when she got bumped at the start. She settled inside. She was fourth. She was uh, just about two lengths off. She wanted to go, but she was behind. She was waiting. She lost ground. She had nowhere to go. She was kind of looking all over. She finally found some room inside. She closed well, and now she's going to go third start off the long layoff. She's a multiple group one stakes winner in Brazil, and she'll just be making her you know third start here for D'Amato. I think she fits pretty well. Macadamia is 12 to 1 on the morning line if we can get anything around 8. I wouldn't want to take too low on her because it's a tough race, but around 8 to 1 or so, we'll play her and uh, I would throw her into some of your late exotics. So that's Friday at Del Mar. Let's head on over to Saturday and talk some Louisiana Downs Saturday, but before we do, let's talk to the head honcho over at Louisiana Downs. Let's talk to the owner of Louisiana, Kevin Preston. About a 15-minute interview or so, we talk about Kevin and how he got into owning and acquiring casinos and what lured him over to Louisiana, and he plans for the future, Super Derby 2023. This was an an interview that we recorded on social media, so this is the audio from that interview. If you wanted to take a look at it, it was played on Twitter, YouTube, and uh, over on Facebook where I post all of the, the interviews as well. So enjoy. The interview with Kevin Preston. Very excited for this interview. We're going to be talking with one of the head honchos over at Louisiana Downs right now. We're talking with the co-owner of Louisiana Downs, Kevin Preston. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me today. I've been wanting to talk to you uh, over the last couple months, uh, ever since you came in to Louisiana. So before we get to some specifics on Louisiana, how do you get to the point where you are right now, where you're owning, acquiring some casinos. You have a couple different properties. Tell us a little bit about the process that gets you to where you are and a, a little bit of uh, some background about who you are. Yeah, first, you know, as, as we talked about, man, Gina, I just appreciate you and your time and everything that you've been doing to support us. It means a lot. And we just, you know, we're looking forward to what's ahead. And so we appreciate that. But to Thank you. I, my perspective, you know, uh, it's funny. I started off as an intern back at Harris way back in the day in 1992, um, and I'm I'm showing my age. But um, started there uh, with the first Riverboat Casino. Uh, stayed there for four years. Went to the corporate office for four years, uh, overseeing multiple properties for Harris, um, none of which were racetracks at the time. Um, and then, you know, as I continued to progress, you know, decided uh, to own my own casinos and uh, started with. My first one in, in uh, Des Moines, Iowa with Wild Rose Entertainment had a small ownership uh, in that company, which we started from scratch. Um, and then uh, a few years later, sold out and I became the CEO, COO of Tropicana Casinos um, and helped them through bankruptcy. Uh, that was really why they, they brought me on was to help them through the bankruptcy aspect. Um, and then, you know, the bankers who I met during that whole process were like, man, listen, you got to we're going to support you, do what you want to do. And so, you know, this little casino project came available in Natchez, Mississippi, you know, 13 years ago. And, uh, you know, nobody wanted to do it. You know, no banks really wanted to fund it. And so I was like, listen, if we can do it, you know, it's going to be something special. And so, you know, went through the process. These bankers that always said they'd support me came through. 
uh, helped us fund that first project. We built it from the ground up. It's been just an amazing ride uh, the last 13 years there. And then, you know, uh, actually two years ago, we found out about Louisiana Downs and sort of took that long to get through this process. Um, you what know, were some of the things that sort of interested you or that, that you heard about Louisiana Downs that intrigued you? You know, uh, I guess, you know, we, we sort of knew that that the property was, was I hate to say the word being neglected, but, it, you know, that's really. Sure. Yeah, it's true. Not all the capital being spent, um, you know, really just here sort of running on fumes. And so, you know, we knew that if we came in, you know, and and same culture that we did in Natchez and the other places that we've operated, um, you know, put some capital into the facility that we knew that we could really make this thing special. And I think the biggest thing for me is when I first came through and toured the facility and realized how engaging and how much history these employees and team members have here. I mean, you walk through Gino and there's these amazing team members that have been here 20, 30, 40 years, man, at one place, you know what I mean? And once they knew that someone was taken over and actually, you know, cared about this property and was going to put money into it, they are just as, as excited now as they were the first day they started when, you know, the crowds were enormous here. And so that's really what took it is, is you know, you come into a place, sometimes you look at acquisitions and, you know, team members are always worried or concerned or whatnot. But here, man, they were just like open arms. We'd love to have you. Let's get this thing rolling again. And so that's that's really one of the main reasons why we did it is because you know, the team members were engaging and we knew that if we could, you know, put our culture in here and put some money into it, that we could really make this thing special. So I got to say, that's one of the reasons why I actually am involved with you um, in knowing some people that were around Louisiana and that have been involved in Louisiana racing over the last few years. After meeting with you, when you came in and some of the new ownership, they said, Gino, I think this is a place that you would really like to work with. They really seem like they're excited about the future. I think you should try to touch base with them. And so right. through some back channels, I was able to make a few calls and said, hey, look, I think I can help you out here. And it was just the energy and the excitement that I had heard from everyone else that you were really wanting to bring the racing back and make this a place to be, make it a place to go with your family where you can have fun. That seems like something that's been very important to you in quotes that I've heard from you in interviews that I've seen and just seeing some of the posts that you make. You seem like you're a family guy yourself. Uh, I see stuff you traveling around a lot with your family and it seems like that's one thing you'd love to see at Louisiana Downs. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I think that's getting back, you know, to, I mean, that's how I came up. I mean, while I'm not a, a horse racing guy by, by, you know, experience, you know, I came up um, when I was young, going to the tracks in Chicago, Arlington, Belmoral, all the major tracks out there with my family and my dad and everything. And so I loved it. I had the passion for it back then. And, and thankfully it came full circle. And now, you know, fortunately we're able to operate this and, and, you know, the, the crazy thing is, is that, um, you're right. I think I think people just got to get to know you because we've spent so much money, you know, and, and, and what they don't understand from a business perspective is that you come into a place and you realize there's so much back of the house stuff that needs to be spent on IT infrastructure, infrastructure in general, new computers, like everything was just ancient here. And so in order for us to get to to Z, we got to start A, B and C to get to that point. And so everyone's like, oh, well, why aren't you doing this and this? Well, you know, it's a process. Yeah. And, and, you know, listen, because what people don't understand is that, you know, the horsemen finally have a voice here locally, right? Because we meet with them once a, week, once a month. 
and they had some things that they wanted that they never got. So the test barns redone, you know, the paint, the fixing and repairing things on the backside, the kitchens for the jockeys, which we, we did. I mean, all the stuff that customers don't see, we did and we put money into and continue to put money into. So we so we showed the horsemen like, hey, we care about you guys. This is the things you said you wanted. Here it is. We did it. Right. And so, you know, it gets to the point now where, you know, with the acquisition and then, you know, again, slot machines typically three to four weeks to get, you know, now they're taking 10 to 14 weeks. And so we just started getting those new machines on the floor, which again, you know, we inherited a slot floor that was 20, 25 years old with slot machines that we can't even get parts for anymore. And so can't fix them. <laughs> no, can't. So, I mean, you know, so that that's a thing too. So everything came together and yeah, while we, you know, truly wanted to do the super derby this year, it just wouldn't have been the right thing because no. we, wouldn't have put our best foot forward. And we think that with, you know, new slots, with these OTBs, we're opening up our first one tomorrow. We're going tomorrow. We're going to be down the mountain tomorrow to open that up with the HHR machines. We just think that we'll have more momentum next year and, and more time to plan. And, you know, say what you will. These, you know, folks can say what they will, but we're, we, we still, you know, are excited about what's going on here. And we know that uh, it's going to be special. And again, today we just started construction on all our restaurants. So it's, you know, it's coming, you know? And all, so, cause all of that money from the casino with better machines, that will all help to fund purses. And it ends up being, it's a cycle, right? The better purses bring in the better horses and the better racing. And then that brings better. It's just a cycle all around. The better product is really what it starts with. And sure. one of the things that I think people are kind of, um, not talking enough about is one of the immediate things that you did right away this year was uh, help the betters and right away. Some of the feedback for some of the wagering menu was instantly changed. A couple right. of people I spoke with and then boom, right off the bat in a week, it said, Hey, you know what? We're going to change our pick four. We're going to change our pick five. We're going to yep. lower the takeout and we're going to give the customers, the people who play our track every day, you're going to make more money. And that's sort of exactly what you did with uh, the postponing the, the super derby to next year. It's Hey, we have a good group of horsemen that are here day in, day out. We want to make sure they get everything right now. They get taken care of. And then next year we can expand and we can try to lure some others in. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we, we haven't even started our concert series yet, which we're starting. So, you know, after races, I mean, it's just there's so there's a lot of things that we still, you know, are, are going to be doing. And, and <clears throat> you know, it'd be one thing it's like part before the horse. We don't want to start some of this stuff without having the amenities. And so absolutely. Fuddruckers here for 20 years and nothing against Fuddruckers because they've been great for us, but all the other restaurants that they had here were closed and shut down. And so now we're reopening those back up so people can come and enjoy, you know, different types of food and, and environments that are more conducive to what, you know, a casino should be. So really looking forward to that. And, we, and uh, I'll continue to pass along all the information as we plan for a big 2023 Super Derby. I'm going to have to get out there live for that one. And we'll, uh, yeah. we'll definitely uh, have a big day out there. So it, it's probably really amazing for you from where you started as an intern to now with the way that uh, things have been changing in just the gambling landscape with sports betting becoming legal. And that's something that you've seen just in the, the the short time you've been at Louisiana. That feels like something, I mean, I'm a big sports fan too. I think that feels like such an untapped space now that we're finally able to explore. I'd imagine you probably have a lot of ideas of, of ways that that's going to be able to help the racetrack and have a really nice kind of symbiotic relationship with sports betting and the casino gaming and the racetrack all coming together. 
Yeah. And, you know, um, we've had it in Mississippi for a lot longer. We've had it for three years now, going on four years. And so, you know, I could see how it's progressed over the years and just what it will do here. But again, you know, unless we have the amenities that will go along with that sports betting aspect. Good sports book, big now, restaurants, right? right? Have the window where you can come in, up and bet. But now, you know, in the next, you know, 45, 60 days, we're going to have actual the comfortable seating and the lounges with, you know, the 45, 60 TVs inside there. I mean, it's, it's going to be really, really nice. I mean, all the furniture is already ordered. It's actually here. So, I mean, once the construction's done, you know, it's going to be a really nice environment for people, people to come and just have a total customer experience, whether it's the racing side, the casino side, the sports betting side. We're actually adding, you know, the 50 HHR machines here as well on our casino floor. So we'll have them here as well. So just, you know, the culmination of everything together, it just has to all happen at the same time. And unfortunately, you know, due to the timing of this acquisition, we just, you know, we took it over in November, end of the year, um, had a shared services agreement with Caesars till, till February. So February was really the first time that we actually were 100%, you know, uh, operating the casino at that point. So, I mean, we're only, what, you know, six months into this, seven months into it. So, I mean, you know, to have these crazy, you know, standards that some people think, it's just not, you know, it's a, this is a business. It's not, it doesn't happen overnight, especially... Or something that hasn't been touched in a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah, you want to build. You want to build, build, build. Little yeah. by little and then get it back to where it was. You don't, like you said, you don't want to go all in and then have an event this year that people go, oh, well, that really wasn't the Super Derby. Yeah. That, 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 what, what would that, what good would that serve for anyone? Right, right. So you, 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 you I mean, you, you can't win. Either you, you don't yeah. do it, or you wait, or you do it and you look like an idiot. Like there and- was a problem or some reason why it got backed up. But when really right. it's just, trying to do right by the horsemen and just make sure when we roll a big event out, we do it right. Heck, we had a big day at Louisiana Downs a couple weeks ago. That was a fantastic day of racing. The field sizes were incredible. We had six stakes races on a Louisiana Cup day, and every race had eight or more runners in there. The betting pools were big. People were involved. So what I love about Louisiana is it has everything that all of the betters would want. We just are going to do a better job now of making people aware of it, uh, reintroducing them to the product, getting people back out to the racetrack because there's turf and dirt racing, these low takeout. There's a lot of different wagering options. I think everything that a better would want, we have in the product there. It's just about getting the word back out again and and getting it back to where it was. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I I got it. You have to give credit. I mean, you know, Bill and McKeever taking the the track is just always phenomenal. Fantastic and great Uh, shape. I mean, and Matt, you know, Crawford with the schedules, you know, the racing. I mean, he's just, he's got such a great um, pedigree in this business. I mean, he, he's, he, we're so lucky to have him. And of course, the rest of the staff, Jennifer and Tammy, everybody that bets back there is, does a phenomenal job. And so, you know, we're really lucky to have some really, really good team members that have been here for a long time and sort of now they're getting re, you know, sort of energized about what's going on and, and, and really loving to see what's happening. And just to take it for, you know, step back on the Super Derby thing real quick, but, you know, we had a meeting with them and they're the ones that suggested, you know, holding off until next year. So it wasn't just our decision yeah. by, you know, we, we like to do it as a team. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of the local horsemen are very, you know, engaged in what we're doing and supportive. So. Yep. It was, if it was to be better to have the big purses for the one day or to spread it around for the rest of the meet and to give everybody an opportunity on the day in day out basis. I think that's just a better idea and it serves so many more people in that sense. So your schedule, I'd imagine 
you, you know, you're in a couple, you have a couple different places that you're in charge of. Uh, you've got a family, as I said, I, I've seen some of the, the posts. Yeah. What's like a normal day like for you? I'd imagine it's pretty busy. You're traveling all. Is there any template for you or is every day just kind of different? You know, every day brings its own journey, man. You know, like um, I got in last night. I'm here today. I go to Mound tomorrow for the opening of the OTB. Go, go to Natchez on Thursday night. Back to Baton Rouge Monday for the gaming meeting for Louisiana. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it just never ends. But it's, you know, you never you still like you, man. You, you Like, I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life just because no. it's great. You know, you're you're the team members are phenomenal. The customers are phenomenal. What we do is, you know, it's we're not you know, trying to create an atom bomb or something, right? So we're here and just really taking care of the customers, taking care of the employees and making sure that, you know, the health and safety of our, our jockeys and the horses are are always, you know, the top of the, at the top of the list, you know, so. Kevin, I was just uh, watching the legacy documentary on Hulu about the Lakers and I'm getting those feels yeah. here too, right? You come in, there's uh, this organization that, had some prestige. It's going to take a little while to get it back to where it was, but I think uh, we can see Showtime again and uh, the Super Derby coming soon at Louisiana. Is there anything else you want to mention uh, before we get out of here? I really appreciate you taking so much time out. I know you're a busy man. I think that's it. Like I said, anytime you need it, I'm I'm, I'm here for you, man. Because uh, awesome. we seriously, yeah. Thank you. And uh, anything you need out there on the casino side or any help at all, you let me know. Love working with all the people at Louisiana. And it was so much fun getting to talk with you really for the first time face to face. So, Kevin, thank you so much. And uh, anything you need, you just let me know. Thanks again. You got it, brother. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Folks, uh, that was uh, the head honcho over there at Louisiana Downs. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here. We'll have a podcast coming up in just uh, about a day or two. That's what G said. So make sure you download that anywhere you get your podcasts. Plenty more content coming up soon. Big thanks to Kevin. I know he's such a busy man for taking some time out to catch up and uh, talk a little bit about Louisiana Downs. Look forward to touching base again with him and heading on out there and taking in some live racing in uh, sometime soon, sometime real soon. Let's talk about some of that racing from Louisiana. Let's talk about Saturday, August the 20th, and let's turn to race number one. Uh, shout out to Phil Cleek, the owner of the number two Super Wise. He was uh, in the hospital, not doing all that well, but Phil's got a horse running this weekend. Uh, Phil, hope you're feeling better and hope you're doing well. Super Wise looks like the one to catch. He got DQ'd in his last start. It was his career best effort. It was his first start on the turf, and he was on the lead. And I don't know if he should have been DQ'd. If you actually read the chart notes, it says that Space Mountain went into a spot that wasn't there. Now, again, Super Wise looks like he catches a field that doesn't have a lot of speed. It's a tough group, though. The number five, More Ice, is in very nice form, as is the one picking Roses. And Space Mountain is a real classy nine-year-old who fits very well at this level. So any of them would be no shock. But I put the two on top of the five, one, and three if you wanted to go a little deeper with Superwise trying to steal this race on the front end again after getting the DQ last time. Let's move to race two. 12-5 claimers, non-winners of two. They'll be going a mile and 70. The one Falcon Heavy should be able to sit a pretty nice trip in here. Was a good winner, first time in the Greg Tracy barn in the most recent start. The two Lou Zero put it all together last time out. And the four, Do Drop Kid was scratched out of a spot the other day for this one. And this is just not the strongest group in the world and he at least has some races on the main track that would stack up with this group. So I'm going to end up going 1-2-4 in the second. 
race three, we get to the turf. 12-5, non-winners of three. Louisiana Breds, the three. Joe Boy could get aggressive in here. There is not that much speed. He won on the slop back on July the 2nd. He's 0 for 10 on the turf, but the races he ran in defeat in May and June, they would really compare well in here. I think Joe Boy and Jose Guerrero try to steal this race. The two won for VV. Both races versus claimers were wins, and one for VV is a major player, probably the one to beat in here for Alan Clanford, who's had a, a nice meet with just some limited runners. The five, now you rules. Obvious player with some of the recent turf form. And then the one, Gray Sloan, has a couple turf races, one bad one, and that was in tough against Maiden Specials. The other two are pretty good. 3-2-5-1. In the fourth, looking at the number four in here, Wild T Ranger. So he's making his third start, but his first on actual dirt. He hooked a wet track on a, a, muddy, a muddy track in his debut, and then the turf in his second start. Damn one on the dirt, lone sibling two for seven on the dirt, and was six for seven in the top three. This will be his first try on the dirt. Both races came against better. He lost to a horse named Hudson's Turn, who just came back to win their next start. And he should have gained some fitness at least from those two races. The five, lower Cretaceous, gets back to the dirt, blinkers on. Looks like the one to catch. He could be loose on the lead. I'll try to beat the two, Prince Perfecta. I'm going to use the one Rockstar Alex in the third spot. His best races are mainly sprints, and he's coming out of some of the quicker half-mile splits, so he could be sitting a pretty good spot in here. And Tin Can Man puts two starts together, second off the long, long layoff. I wish there was another week or two in between. He could be fine on the dirt. Four or five siblings, one on the dirt. He ran a race that you would expect. He was sort of involved, and then he backed up in a race that he just really needed. He hadn't run in a year and a half. Four, five, one, three. That's race number four. In the fifth race, it's a Louisiana bred allowance race for fillies and mares. Five furlongs on the turf. The number six, my sister Annette was in the second flight, was in between horses after a crowded first furlong with some traffic. Maybe a smoother trip now, drawn more towards the outside. The one scampering Gracie comes out of that drop dead sexy race. And Drop Dead Sexy came out of that to go finish second against Stakes Company. The two are lost love. The long layoff is the concern. She hasn't raced in almost a year to the day. She's certainly capable if she comes back with you know, any race that was close to her best when she was uh, last seen racing. Moving to the sixth race, we've got Louisiana Bread. $5,000 claimers, non-winners of three. Six furlongs on the dirt. I like the six Oscar choice. Started to figure it out after taking a while to break his maiden. He's trying to win his third in a row. The seven, Wicked Alex, should sit a very nice trip in here. He's become consistent in his last couple, and this is a good spot for him, drawn pretty well. You have the two, the Thimble, another one with back-to-back runner-up efforts at this level. The four, Real Brave, with the blinkers coming on. I went six, seven, two, four. In the seventh race, we close out with the first level allowance on the turf. The number one, I'm a big bopper. Should have a little pace to chase in here. Should save ground and come rolling. Because the number three, War Count is quick. The number five, Whitaker is quick. You can see Beauregard flashing some speed. And Cowboy Ridge, also quick. 
I'm going one, three, five, two. That is your seven race card for Saturday at Louisiana Downs. I'll be on the broadcast before and after each race, providing selections and analysis. If you ever need any help playing the races at Louisiana, come and hang out Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, seven race cards each and every day. We're going to get into this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. Before we do, I want to talk about full-service realtor Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. You can head to her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com, and you can find all of her listings and information about um, anything that she has going on and ways to contact her. And she can connect you with lenders, uh, with vendors if you need help with home improvement. She can do a free market analysis of your home's value, see where you stack up right now. If you need any help in the world of real estate, contact Cindy Carava at CindyCarava.com. No coop this week, but lots of wrestling to talk about. And what a fun time it is in wrestling right now. There's a really good energy uh, all over in WWE, AEW, NXT. Let's talk about it. Let's head back to Friday night for SmackDown. We started the show off with the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. And they've just been paying more attention to this. These matches have been getting more time. They've been able to cut promos, and they've been treating this like a big deal, like it's important. We had Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah versus Shotzi and Zaya Lee, and Raquel and Aaliyah pick up the win. So they move along in the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. Karrion Cross and Scarlett backstage cut a promo. And with Karrion Cross, when we see Scarlett with the entrance a little bit after, they kept all of the good things about Karrion Cross. He wasn't always the greatest in ring, but the look, the vibe, the feel with Scarlett, the package, the entrance, all looks good. So Karrion Cross, a new player, calls out Drew McIntyre, calls out Roman Reigns. Drew McIntyre. Enters the ring. He cuts a promo. He calls out Carrie and Cross. And we had a sort of a little weird interaction. The Usos attack Drew McIntyre. Then Scarlet makes her way out to the ring. And she tells the Usos that Carrie and Cross is there for Roman Reigns. And the Usos kind of chime back. This is bloodline territory. So looks like they're going to try to. Insert Karrion Cross in this in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure what they're going to do with just a few weeks leading up to the pay-per-view, but I do think it feels fresh. And what sort of happens is when Roman's not around all the time, Cross sort of is the one that can push the feud along. That's what the Usos have been having to be to do for a while. They're carrying a lot of weight. We did get a lot of hype around the IC title, which I loved. They defended the IC title on this show. It was a really good match. And following a video package, we got a squash match. Or actually, what ended up happening first was the Viking Raiders were heading down to the ring and Kofi attacked with a kendo stick. Looked like he had the advantage for a moment, but they end up double teaming him and they toss him onto the shield, onto one of their shields. And we get a big splash off the barricade that looked brutal. So the build with the Viking Raiders, they've definitely looked more ruthless, more serious. 
Hit Row was back. Ashanti, the Adonis, and Top Dalla, along with B-Fab. They pick up a quick win early on. Good to see Hit Row coming back. A lot of the acts that Triple H was a fan of have been coming back slowly but surely, and Hit Row is one. Gunther and Ludwig Kaiser cut a promo backstage. Nothing too crazy. We then get to the ring for the women's championship contract signing. Bronda Rousey makes her way through the crowd, and she's getting a lot more support now. Just as this badass Ronda, it just comes off a little bit more genuine and real than the real sweet babyface Ronda, where she just doesn't really, she can't find her voice there. Ronda says uh, she's not worried about this. the fines. She empties a bunch of money out on the table. Officials come out there, and Ronda puts one of them in an arm bar. Shayna actually comes out to try to stop Ronda and tell Ronda that you can't do this anymore, and Shayna and Ronda have a little bit of a powwow. Shayna comes out and cuts a quick promo, talks about how she won, and she's going to take the title from Liv. She said Liv's, Liv has a target with an injured arm. She's going to go after that arm and rip her limb from limb. Liv comes out quickly. She says Shayna won't beat her, and Shayna is like a bootleg Ronda Rousey. She said she beat the real deal twice, so Liv is really laying it on thick about how she's beat Ronda twice. And she's going to beat her too. Liv signs the contract, and then Shayna goes after Liv's injured arm. And Liv actually fires back with a pretty cool bulldog through the table. That looked fun. So the build with these two, we'll see how Ronda is involved with this. Backstage, Sami Zayn was there with the bloodline and the Usos, and they told Sami Zayn to step up. It was Drew McIntyre versus the Usos. They told him he could have any partner he wanted. Drew was going to try to do it on his own, and then Madcap Moss came out to help. Drew ends up picking up the victory here. This match was really good. It was fun. It was good for Madcap just to be in the ring with these guys, and Drew getting the win helps continue on his build to the match against Roman Reigns at the big show in just a few weeks. Maximum male models backstage doing the photo shoot. Los Lotharios came in and they said that they should be hired. But Max Dupree, Dupree got right up in their face and said they are not MMM material. But they were sort of flirty with Maxine. That's who they were talking to. Speaking of talking, we got a little segment with Ricochet. He cut a promo backstage, and he seems to have a little bit of purpose. He said, doesn't matter who wins the IC title, he's going to be waiting in line, and then he gets attacked by Corbin. So it looks like Ricochet will probably have a little more with Corbin, and then maybe he can move back on to the IC title or in a different direction, but it's good to see Ricochet getting a little purpose. We then had the IC championship match, Gunther versus Ludwig, and I love that this was the main event. They made it seem like a big deal, building it up through the night. And this was a really good match. These guys went at it. And Gunther, with the big power bomb, picks up the victory. He's your IC champ. Thought SmackDown was very good. We have nice energy right now all over the place. As we head to Monday Night Raw. On Monday Night Raw, we opened up with the Judgment Day. Cutting a promo, it was Rhea Ripley, Damian Priest, and Finn Balor. 
Rhea Ripley says that she really is Dominic's poppy. And they uh, they talk about how they destroyed the Mysterios. And then we hear Priest talk about his match with Edge next week in Toronto. They'll have a one-on-one match. And it's going to be just the two of them, one-on-one, man-to-man. Priest said it's not going to be known as Edge's hometown anymore. It'll be the place where Damian Priest sends him back to retirement. Good to see them come out in an important spot. And we'll see. They, they feel more important being involved with Edge and just with Rhea back out there. So I was worried about them for a little bit. We'll see how the next few weeks go with them. But I feel a little bit better than where we were um, before Edge's return. Before SummerSlam. Mysterio actually ends up attacking. And so Ray, see how uh, exactly they're going to play this out. Maybe we get a Ray. Does you know Dominic have a turn eventually? Are we going to get that turn from Dominic that we've been thinking we were going to get, where he turns on his father? All throughout the night, they were building up the U.S. title match. It was Bobby Lashley against AJ Styles. Some really good wrestling on this show. Another women's tag team tournament match. It was Asuka and Alexa Bliss versus Nikki and Dewdrop. I thought this match was fun. It seemed like it had a little bit of intensity here. I thought Nikki and Dewdrop looked very good. Asuka and Alexa Bliss pick up the win. They're going to face Dakota Sky, uh, Dakota Kai and Io Sky in the semifinals. Now Bianca was celebrating with Asuka and Alexa. When Bailey, Io, and Dakota came out, those six women will have a three-on-three match at Clash of the Castle. Austin Theory cut a promo backstage. Said he's uh, still the holder of the money in the bank. He miscalculated at SummerSlam, but he's wiser now. And he has a match against Ziggler later on in the night. Ziggler comes up, and they start to talk a little trash to each other. And then they start battling a little bit. Ziggler headbutts him, and they brawl. So the officials broke that up, and that's going to lead to a match later on in the evening. Miz and Ciampa cut a promo. And Miz said the reason Ciampa isn't the champion right now is that AJ interfered, and now AJ gets a title match. He smells collusion. But they have a tag team match coming up. So Ciampa and the Miz take on Cedric Alexander and Mustafa. I like this match a lot. This was fun. Ciampa and The Miz get the win. But we get to see Cedric and Mustafa on TV. Cedric is definitely someone that Triple H likes. I'd love to see both of them just get treated a little bit better. Miz and Ciampa pick up the win. We then see a photo of Ezekiel in a hospital bed with his family. They're all... His face dressed up like Ernie Jr. is Ezekiel's dad. Um, he says if he ever gets his hand on Kevin Owens, he'll get a piece of his mind. So they're they're having fun more with the Ezekiel Elias stuff. Elron. We get a look at Wale ringside, and then Drew McIntyre came out. This was a really good segment. He and Kevin Owens had this incredible back and forth promo battle because Drew. Basically called out Roman Reigns. He said he's going to win the title and he will be there at Raw, SmackDown, all the live events. He's not going to be an absentee champ. 
and he says he's been carrying the weight of the company on his back for the last few years. This is his dream. He says, when I win the title, how about me against Champa or AJ or Seth freaking Rollins or Karrion Cross? And Kevin Owens comes out. Kevin Owens says he doesn't understand why Drew pretends he's something he's not. Drew talks with cartoon voice, wears a kilt, has a sword. He says if Drew really believes he's carrying the weight of the company, he's a dumbass. McIntyre doesn't know who he is. Owens says he knows who he is. Owens hasn't changed in his 22 years. He's as real as it gets. People like Drew have forgotten what KO is about. That's Owens' fault. The last few years, he's been coming to work and having fun. Then something dawned on him. This is the same arena he had a match against Sami Zayn at Battleground. That reminded him... Owens misses that special side He misses that old Kevin Owens It's time to bring back the Kevin Owens The prize fighter He hasn't held the title in 5 years Enough is enough and it's time for a change The Owen Hart line From KO He says every champion is a target They're all targets After Clash of Champions Whether it's Roman Reigns or Drew They're targeted Then Drew chimes in Says 15 years ago I was the chosen one Then I got fired Said WWE called him They didn't call me After I worked on myself I'm a two time champ I beat Brock Lesnar, Goldberg, Randy Orton Anyone in my path Owens better not dare say He doesn't know who he is It was This was good And we got a match between these two They have this banger of a match That's going Just back and forth The crowd's getting into it There was intensity Because it comes after this great promo battle and then the Usos get involved at the end And it's a DQ I, You knew it was going to come They didn't want to give this away for free But it is a bummer when they end this way Up next we got Seth Rollins And Riddle uh, Riddle Was having an interview Seth Rollins was in the ring so, uh, He talked about how he's a visionary And he wants to get a front row seat To Riddle Riddle is getting mic'd up in his mom's basement and uh, Riddle and and Rollins went back and forth a little bit, and then Riddle said, "Hey, by the way, I'm not actually in my mom's basement. I'm coming out to kick your ass." And he charges to the ring. We get these two guys brawling. They go at it. Crowds chanting, "Bro, bro, bro!" And at Clash of the Castle. Riddle wants Seth Rollins Squash match For Veer Mahan Dakota Kai Bailey and EO Were backstage Cutting a promo They interrupt uh, And then they uh, they go after Dana Brooke So they're just kind of mean girling it up AJ Styles Versus Bobby Lashley For the US Championship This was a blast Really good I mean these guys went at it Go check this match out If you have not seen it Lashley gets the win But AJ was fine And looked strong in defeat We then had uh, Dana Brooke versus Dakota And Dakota picks the win uh, Gets the win It was a non-title match And It was just really quick Finished up with Austin Theory versus Dolph Ziggler That was our main event And this was a good match Theory ends up getting the win With A-Town down 
they've already got some stuff planned for next week, which you don't normally see, where you wouldn't see in the Vince McMahon era. Triple H is promoting matches ahead of time. Edge, Damian Priest, Dakota, and EO versus Alexa and Asuka in the semifinals of the Women's Tag Team Championship. So that was Monday Night Raw. We head to NXT. It was Heat Wave. This was a really good show. Carmelo Hayes and Giovanni Vinci opened the show. Carmelo picked up a win, but Vinci just looks more and more impressive. And Trick Williams was involved, and that's what ended up you know, sort of helping Carmelo get the win. He was able to counter the powerbomb and turn it into a, a spiked Rana. Good match, and both of these guys are super impressive. Now, throughout the night, there was an entering segment with the Diamond Mine, and it led to the NXT UK guys, Gallus, hitting the ring and laying out some of the members of Diamond Mine. Roxanne Perez versus Cora Jade goes to Cora Jade after the DDT on the Kindo stick. The match is fine. I just wish this feud would have. It just didn't breathe enough. They needed. We needed to see them have a little bit of a run with the tag titles. We needed to see them on screen be friends and share moments, not just hear about the fact that they were friends. So Gallus challenges Briggs and Jensen to a title match. We got a lot of NXT UK on this show. I'm a big fan of Santos Escobar. We had the winner-take-all street fight. And... It was Santos versus Tony D'Angelo. We had Legato Del Fantasma. We had Stakes out there. We had uh, just all the bells and whistles that you'd imagine. But Tony D picks up the win, and it looks like Santos might be moving up to the main roster. I think he will be. He could be a really nice fit on the main roster. He carries himself like a star really does women's championship match Mandy Rose versus Zoe Stark this was one of Mandy's better matches I thought she was really good here she picks up the win Mandy's underrated in the ring I know people don't want to give her her fair due but she's she's putting out really good efforts so Mandy gets the win over Zoe Zoe is actually part of the tag team women's tournament along with Nikita and the NXT championship match Braun Breaker versus JD McDonough I thought a few times McDonough was going to win this thing but Braun just destroys him at the end with a, a brutal sequence and Braun picks up the victory after the match Tyler Bate comes down to the ring holding the NXT UK championship if you don't know Tyler Bate he is fantastic in ring I can't wait to see a Tyler Bate, Braun Breaker interaction. Let's head on over to AEW. It was a big dynamite on Wednesday night. They can feel that WWE has some good momentum right now. Tony Khan has mentioned it. Chris Jericho has mentioned it. There's a lot of good buzz. Triple H books differently. And I think AEW felt some pressure tonight. This was a good show. And... The TV was great. My only worry with AEW right now is we're like two weeks away from All Out and they don't have much 
booked for that show at all. So we opened tonight with CM Punk, and he was fired up tonight. He called out Hangman Page, says Page, and Page doesn't come out. He says that's coward shit. Then he says John Moxley has a lot of fans. He could be number one in people's hearts, but he's not number one in the ring. He said Moxley's always been number two. Someone's always had his number. Punk said that Moxley is only the third best guy. He's in his his own group, which has been a reoccurring theme in his career, referencing the Blackpool Combat Club and the Shield. Punk says, uh, you know, Moxley talks about how tough he is with broken bones. Punk's the only one that's broken bones in the last six months. And he says Mox is the interim champ, which is temporary. So Punk was going, going at him here. Says your best friend Eddie, he's only the third best Eddie I've ever been in the ring with, and he's only the second best Kingston I've ever been in a locker room with. And he wants to uh, test it out against Moxley at All Out. And that won't be the first John that he's ever beaten in Chicago for a championship belt, and he's not number one in that category either. And that set Moxley off, so he comes out through the audience. Punk says, "Oh, it'll take a while." So he's doing snow angels in the ring. We got an intensity raised with these two instantly. Moxley comes out. He fires back. He says he's the heart and soul of AEW. He says he's the dollars. And Moxley uh, said that Punk only came to AEW because he ran out of money. And a little back and forth here. Security breaks them up after they brawl. And we get them brawling a couple times throughout the night that they've actually announced this match for next week. Instead of All Out, your main event, they're going to do this on TV next week, which means they have to have something planned. There has to be the return of MJF. There has to be something else that's going to be the main event if you aren't going to have this. There's not a lot of time to build to this pay-per-view for a big show. Now, they just had Punk return. Brian Danielson's back. Omega comes back at the end of the night. And maybe MJF will be there. So maybe they're just thinking, if all these guys are on the show, that'll sell enough pay-per-views. It doesn't really matter what they're doing. But the build to the pay-per-view hasn't been great. This was a good episode of TV tonight. Don't get me wrong. But it seems like this was something that was meant to have a good episode of TV. Not two weeks out from one of your biggest shows. Maybe your biggest or second biggest show of the year. Powerhouse Hobbs cut a promo backstage. Talked about how he breaks necks and uh, he doesn't want to be friends with uh, someone like Starks who's okay losing. Jericho enters for commentary. He was sitting on commentary for the Brian Danielson-Daniel Garcia 2 out of 3 falls match. Ricky Steamboat was there throughout the night. They were really leaning into the dragon um, theme as they were promoting House of Dragons for Game of Thrones uh, this weekend, the new show. So Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's there. We had American Dragon Brian Danielson versus the Dragon Slayer Daniel Garcia. This was a fantastic match. Awesome match. These guys beat the crap out of each other. Garcia gets the first fall. Looks like he's in control. And then Brian Danielson's able to roll him up to tie it up 1-1. These two guys are just going at it. I mean... Danielson is laying in shots to the back of his neck. I mean, the two of them are just crushing each other. And when Danielson puts in the label lock, 
we just have a, a moment where Garcia passes out. And it was basically a babyface turn for him. This thing was hard-hitting, nasty strikes to the backs of the neck. After the match, Danielson wanted to show respect to Garcia. And Jericho comes out of nowhere and he jumps Brian. Garcia got mad, he stopped it, and he pushed Jericho away. The fans chant, you're a wrestler. Okay, one of my concerns, I liked a lot of this show, but again, we have the Tag Team Championship on Rampage. Keith Lee and Swerve, they're going to have a match against Private Party. So we're two weeks out from the pay-per-view and they don't have any type of feud or any type of storyline. I'm not a fan of that. Tony Nese comes out for a match, but Moxley just attacks him and he calls CM Punk out. And they start going at each other again. That caused <clears throat> Claudio to come out and Wheeler Yuta. They were trying to pull Moxley off. So throughout the night, they were telling this story. Backstage, Jericho and Garcia talked a little bit. Jericho said he was going to give Garcia a pass for the night. And then Ricky Steamboat comes out of nowhere. He says that Garcia doesn't need Jericho and that Brian Danielson would be a better choice to mentor him. Steamboat chopped the Jericho Appreciation Society a bit after he got popped. It was a really weird like a squash match between the Varsity Blondes and the Gun Club. This was more about the storyline. The Gun Club beat the Varsity Blondes in like n- not even a minute. Then after the match, Stokely walks out and the, the Guns attack their dad, Billy. That leads the Acclaim to come out and make the save. So maybe we have the acclaimed and Billy Gunn, which they've been teasing this for a while, but this all happened really quickly. So I think the timing on the show might have been off a little bit. Jungle Boy comes out to cut his promo. We assume we're going to get Jungle Boy versus Christian at All Out. Christian did not agree to the match. Jungle Boy said he's not allowed to wear that shirt anymore with the P word. That's a kitten. He calls out Christian. But Christian does not want to challenge him. Christian said he's sorry. They've all did some things they didn't mean and they just want to fix things. So he asks Jungle Boy to to come back and he'll take him to the promised land. He says, we're like a family. I love you. You're like a son to me. But Jungle Boy goes after him, attacks him, and a little back and forth. But we have security come out again and break them up. And after seeing security do that for Punk, and Moxley a couple times, it's just, it doesn't serve the same purpose. It doesn't hit as hard when you see them coming out again. FTR and Wardlow are backstage with Cash Wheeler talking about how Wardlow didn't ask for help, but they've basically set up a six-man tag now for All Out. So we're not going to have Wardlow in a one-on-one match. We're not going to have FTR. It's going to be the three of them versus Lethal and their crew. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I just think that we could use them better. Tony Storm against Killen King. Storm gets a win. I thought they both performed well in here, but I like the beginning of the show. I like the end of the show. There are still a lot of complaints with things that I had in the middle of the show as we're just leading up to our our big event. Like the women's division, we've gone back to Thunder and Tony again. And Thunder's uh, reign has not been great. 
we were not fe- featuring Brit at all. I just they can't seem to figure out what to do with the women's division. And I Thunder and Tony will be fine in the ring, but it we just had this. We can't build up another contender. The trios tournament match was the main event. Andrade del El Idolo, Dragon Lee, and Roosh versus the Young Bucks. And who? Kenny Omega. Everybody knew Omega was back, but he gets the big intro from Justin Roberts. And Don Callis comes to commentary. Michael Nakazawa comes out. Just a crazy match all over the place, as you would expect with these six huge spots, intense, creative offense. And there's this one crazy spot where the heels are holding up Omega on Jose and Roosh's shoulders and Dragon Lee takes him out they both go flying over the barricade and into a fan like a kid it was a scary spot and it was not planned you could tell that it was like something that was not supposed to happen because the fan sort of got up and scurried a little bit the kid looked like he was okay but Gotta be careful when you have the ability to go into the fans like that. Could be really scary. One time if something bad happens, that's it. This was a good way to end though. With Kenny Omega picking up the win. V-Trigger. Then the one-winged angel. And the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega get the win. The problem is right after, we don't even... Kenny just comes back. We don't even let them celebrate... The return, we have Andrade and Dragon Lee and a DDT and the mask falling off as something is going on. Lots of things I like, but when they're trying to do too much, I think that's when they can get in their own way sometimes. This week in wrestling, not quite the same without our buddy Chad Cooper, but really love the way things are going right now in all wrestling with SmackDown, with Raw, with NXT, and with AEW. Let's finish up with the deep dive. It's Thor, Love and Thunder. Tim Kelly joins to go really scene by scene through the entire movie, Thor, Love and Thunder, the newest Marvel MCU movie. Now, the day that I'm releasing this is the day that She-Hulk will drop. So we will have recaps of She-Hulk each and every week. And this is going to be a spoiler alert because we're going to get into everything that happened in Thor, Love and Thunder Tim Kelly joins me for the deep dive. Kick back and enjoy. We head back into the world of Marvel, into the MCU. We're maybe a couple weeks delayed on this one. Uh, COVID pushed me back a little bit. But after we are able to uh, finish up Thor, Love and Thunder, and this deep dive recap and review, we'll be right back on schedule with the MCU pro- uh, projects as She-Hulk will be released in just a week, in the next uh, few days, Tim Kelly joins me to get into Thor Love and Thunder, the newest Marvel movie. TK, we had uh, some crazy screaming goats. We got to revisit yeah. Thor and the uh, and the Guardians. We had a really cool looking and new villain that I thought, I wish we could have even had a little more with because that was pretty badass. A lot of visual yeah. stuff. A fun movie with a different tone that, you know, I wasn't perfect or anything, but it definitely felt a little bit different. What did you think overall of uh, Thor Love and Thunder? 
I thought there was a lot of boldness to it, uh, but ultimately it, it just wasn't executed in a way that that felt uh, like they really hit the mark. I, I think it felt a little bit rushed. Uh, you mentioned tone, the tones. Uh, there were some really great things they went for. Like I mentioned, it's bold, but it it just didn't quite deliver. I think um, this movie felt a little bit uneven. Uh, it, it, I'm not sure it knew what it wanted to be. Uh, I you mentioned you wanted more. I think maybe they cut some things out of this film, uh, and it felt that way. Yeah. Uh, but it was, ultimately, it, it was it was fun on my first viewing. Not so much on on, the, on my rewatch, unfortunately. It it was. I don't. I didn't like. It's 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 weird because for a lot of these movies, it's like different levels of how good or liking. Yeah. In a vacuum, I don't have any problem with this movie. You know, it's 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 really. <laughs> Like it's fun, it's silly. Everything doesn't have to always be the the you know uh, uh, something that connects every single movie and every single thing. But the problem is now is where we are set up in in this this part of uh, of the MCU. We've had now five or six projects in a row that kind of feel like they're off on their own. Nothing seems mm-hmm. really connected at this point of where we are after dealing with Shang Chi and Moon Knight. And Miss Marvel and all these different projects, we bring Thor back in. I just I, when I when I watched the movie, I kept wondering, do we need this right now? Right. That's kind of what I kept. Yeah. It, it was just, did it? Did this felt necessary to to telling a bigger story to the future of the MCU projects? It. Yeah. And I think you're kind of hitting on it too. It's so weird that. Like the movie is silly and goofy. It's a Watiti movie, right? So the the tone of it is going to be like almost like a slapstick comedy throughout a lot of it. Yeah. But then then at the same time, you have this story of Jane Foster dealing with stage four cancer, about to die. Mm-hmm. And then you also have this other story with this totally legitimate villain. Who's been ignored by the gods? His family has died, and he wants to go kill all the gods. So you have these two pretty serious storylines in the middle of this really goofy, silly movie. So you'd kind of flash from these really light-hearted mm-hmm. type scenes and segments to something really serious, and and it was like yeah. out of balance sometimes tonally. Um, it just felt You're like. So right. You're like traveling through like you're like thrown at something, then you're thrown at another thing and you're thrown at another thing. And individually, each of these things are fine. But when you mm-hmm. put them all together, it's like when you're it's like cooking up some stew that doesn't end up tasting all that good, but might have yeah. some pretty good individual in- ingredients along the way. Yeah, it, it ends up feeling kind of weightless, kind of pointless uh, to, you know, to your point before. Uh, it's like, did did we need this? Like, what, does this matter? Um, that there felt like there weren't really stakes throughout, even though, like you said, we're dealing with these really heavy themes. Uh, and those those themes were well executed in, in their moments. Uh, but then just the overarching story uh, and experience of it all didn't coalesce into something that felt meaningful uh, in any kind of way. The, the big thing that kept popping out in my head is how disposable this film felt, how much it felt like a piece of product in a pipeline. Um, and I, I felt the, the, the rush of it all. I felt the COVID of it all. Uh, 
the the green screen heavy just aspects of it. It it it, it was the things that I didn't like about Ragnarok were amplified in it. And at the same time, the things that I liked about Ragnarok, I think were also amplified. So it was this weird kind of mix. I mean, we got some Kill Bill levels of blood in this movie and multiple mentions of orgies. And then we also had these moments that felt very much like this is kid shit. Like, I know. And when I say kid shit, I mean like not like a good Pixar movie. Like, like bad jokes like, that just completely miss. Yeah. That are shit, like shit that you could only pull for kids that, that yeah. they would only you know accept. Uh, and I, I that just didn't work for me. Uh, and I expect a little bit more from Taika. He, he did uh, ring out some really sweet moments. I thought it ended on a really sweet note. Um, I agree. I like the ending quite a bit. Yeah. And where we're and e okay, so in for Thor moving forward, it, it's it, you know it said Thor will will return. Um, moving forward, he has a little bit more of a purpose now with love. Obviously, spoiler alert: we're going to get into everything, but love and thunder now is Thor with the the girl love that he takes care of, which was. Gore's daughter. We also have, you know, a lot played of stuff. by Hemsworth's actual daughter. Played by Hemsworth's actual daughter. Hemsworth's yeah. actual son was in another scene in here. Yeah. Everyone's kids did yeah. something at some point. They showed up in here. The I I loved a a lot of things that they tried, and I agree with you in that. I I want to give them a little bit of leeway for trying some wild stuff. And for throwing some yeah. some crazy stuff out there, because you don't want right. to be hard on someone when they take a big swing and miss, because then what ends up happening, people don't take big swings as much anymore. Right. So you have to applaud big swings because watching a lot of this, it's like, this is a Marvel movie? The to it yeah. just felt, it did not feel like it. And, and, and yeah. sometimes that's good, because now there's so much Marvel content, there's so much stuff with the TV shows, everything can't be exactly the same and all alike. It's got to have, you know it's got to feel different some places, right? Yeah. Uh, sorry. You, uh, you you just made me think of something. Uh, and it felt to me not so much like a Marvel movie. It felt to me like a MTV VMA sketch about a Marvel movie. That's what the I, whole, it felt like two hours of that. I, I know. And then there was somebody <laughs> joked on one of the recaps I was watching. Whenever you go into the shadow realm, it's like, oh, now we're in a Zack Snyder film. Yes, you know, with like so true, with like no so color, true. and just like just gray everywhere, and just um. Yeah. So we'll we'll pick apart the positives and the negatives and where we're going from here. But um, major positives. I mean, Hemsworth just knows his character now, right? Yeah. Like when you're and when you're, this is his fourth solo movie for the MCU. So this is the first time that any one individual single character has four solo movies. This is the 29th Marvel Studios movie overall, wow. and he he did a really good job. I mean, he obviously he knows his he, he knows what he's doing. I thought the the scenes where they would have Korg kind of um, tell the tales of him and, and montages of what was going on with him, and then we saw that later with him and Jane and. Um, he, he did a really good job. He's leaning into the comedy. He's having a lot of fun with it. He obviously was in fantastic shape physically. He looked great here. And it was it was really nice to see Natalie Portman back. I thought she did a good job. She had some yeah. um she had some heavy heavy weight to lift throughout this yeah. because she literally had to 
be physically in great shape. She was all toned up. Mm-hmm. You could see her arms were, you know, were in nice shape. Then she had to deal with the fact that she was dying. She had stage four, which is not an easy thing to portray on on camera, going through the emotions that she had to deal with. I thought she did a did a really good job. I thought Christian yeah. Bale was fantastic as Gore. I thought he was yeah. awesome. I wanted to see more of him. Because more gore. He, more gore. He was scary <laughs> and terrifying. In fact, as you pointed out, one of the things that I read was that there were a few scenes with him looking more scary, doing mm-hmm. more evil, dastardly things that they wanted to cut out in order to keep this thing PG-13 and not really, yeah. really scare the hell out of people. Yeah, I think um, there might have been a scene where he killed Jeff Goldblum and Peter Dinklage's character. From it, I, I read something about that, uh, that, that that got cut, as well as uh, Lena Headey uh, played another character who might have been a god. Um, so there's probably some stuff that was cut from the first or second act, you know, of Gore just killing off more gods. I felt like there we actually kind of needed that. It felt like that was absent. There was really only one example of it, and then we have him kidnap the kids, basically. And we saw uh, one god, much, yeah, that was yeah. we saw sort of like the aftermath mm-hmm. some of the times, but we wouldn't see yeah. it in action. That was small things, just one or two little scenes of seeing him go sneak up and kill a god or how how it was working. Mm-hmm. I think would have would have really helped and. It did just feel weird going into this movie, even even like going to the theater, looking down like this thing is two hours only. This right. seems a little yeah. bit weird for this MCU movie. I don't know. I was, I was like, yeah. I'm not sure how to think of it. And I, I got to say, runtime, it wasn't a breeze on my rewatch. It kind of dragged for two hours when I when I watched it for a second time because the jokes kind of fell a little flatter. Um, to be frank, I, I thought the movie was funny, but not that funny. If, if no. I was going to call it like a comedy, it wasn't gut busting. Like I, there was not one time I think that I really truly laughed. There's a couple of times I chuckled, uh, and I, I thought it had a, you know, breezy kind of, um, weight to it, you know, it, like where it was, it was just kind of buoyant and, and fun to a degree, but on second viewing that really dried up for me. And I think with. With some of these movies, with the, with Marvel now especially, the there's there's this built-in comedy now. It's it's different than like we we're saying with DC, to where there's already this fun comedy. You have a lot of inside jokes. You have a lot of stuff you can do with the characters without really needing to go all the way over the top. I, and yeah. I, I'm saying I appreciate the attempt and the try at it. I just don't think yeah. this is something that really works all that well in this in this world because it's just too like you said it's too much watching an entire film that's just another kind of silly joke another silly joke when they have plenty of stuff that they can talk about. I mean, any of the any of the references back to Thor and Jane's relationship and stuff with inside jokes, that's fine. Yeah. You can you already have all that stuff in the writing. That's not stuff that you have to build in. Um the stuff with the gods was kind of funny. Just the way that yeah. they have Zeus, you know, Russell Crowe, fat Russell Crowe with the Greek accent, just the whole setup of what was going on yeah. there. That's funny. That's fine. Um, yeah. I just don't think, I don't think you need to, to create these scenes that need to be funny in any of these MCU stuff. I think it's just natural. Like you can have enough mm-hmm. natural scenes where that are made for us to laugh because when you try to to 
I think when they tried to make us laugh more in this movie, it didn't make me laugh. Yeah, um, it, it it felt a lot like like actors riffing together, goofing around like behind the scenes on on a yeah, you know, you're right in front of green screens. That's that's what it felt like, it, and it yeah. didn't. It it took you a little bit out, out of it. It it. Uh, I think that there's a sense of stakes that are lost there, and there's a sense uh, in the performances when they're being silly like that that they're just not quite in the reality of the scene. Um, and so that was a disappointment. I did enjoy, I thought it was funny, uh, the love triangle between Thor and his weapons. Well, I guess I guess uh, a quadrilateral, <laughs> really, though, right? right because right. you got to throw Jane in the mix, too, with both ha- yeah. with Stormbreaker, with Mjolnir, and, uh, and Thor. I agree. I thought that was one of my favorite parts. I, I wrote down the exact same thing. It was funny. Yeah. And that that's the kind of comedy where it's not, it's, it's com- it's comedy based on the scene and the setting, not based yeah. on this overly written uh, dialogue that's trying to be funny. And that's right. said like the really characters in the scene. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's like said really it's like a lot. Some of these characters were saying things sometimes that maybe didn't even seem that were a little bit inauthentic, you know, so true. Yeah. Uh, it's like. Would they really say and do that? I don't know. Is it just because this is a comedy that they're doing that a little bit more? Um, now, positives. We talked about Gore. I um, I liked him quite yeah. a bit. And as we have mentioned through a lot of our conversations, the best villains are always mm-hmm. the ones that have legitimate motivations. Oh, yeah. This and guy on is, his side. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this guy, his daughter's dead. His family's dead. And he walks in to this little oasis with the, with these gods who are sitting there basically hoarding all the resources, not <laughs> answering the prayers of the people. And the one god that he runs into, Rapu, is such a dick. I mean, dick. I want to kill him. I do. Yeah. I, it's like I have no I have no nothing wrong with nothing wrong with Christian Bale and Gore for killing him here. But it is, you know, you sort of feel like a. It's a perfect villain because he scares the hell out of you, but then at mm-hmm. the same time, you actually kind of feel a little bit bad for him. And then you got to catch yourself yeah. again when you're feeling bad because you're like, ah, he's doing pretty bad stuff. There's really no you know, excuse for that. But there's this like Baron Zemo-ish thing mm-hmm. about it where it's like, man, this guy lost his family and all he's trying to do is kind of avenge them. How, how yeah. can we really be too, you know, too upset? about him he actually does get his come full circle moment in the end too where mm-hmm. he listens to thor and he does end up bringing back his daughter so i thought he's a i would i just would have liked to see a little bit more of him i thought we could have extended this guy to maybe a couple movies through some tv shows it yeah. this is one of the issues i've had with this portion of the mcu we were introduced to the idea that Maybe Kang was going to come in and be a big bad that connected a lot of these movies. And then we haven't seen him again. Yeah. Yeah. There hasn't really felt like there's been a through line. It just feels like they're piecemealing little cosmic Easter eggs here and there, but no real thing tying a story together. Uh, So that's that's a little bit disappointing. But I, I love your point there about how how we as an audience, our relationship to Gore, like we're introduced to him. As a protagonist, essentially, we we meet him. Uh, that's how the film opens. It's him in the desert with his daughter, uh, you know, and we're rooting for him in that moment. We want him to survive. We're seeing that we're introduced to a character who's 
um, looking out for his his daughter and uh, who's struggling and uh, they're they're alone. And so as an audience, we immediately feel empathy for th this character. And we see him go through this tremendous loss that we it's unimaginable, you know. And so then when he's faced with these these gods, these uh, these just cruel gods, uh, we're on his side. We want to see him take that sword and kill kill the gods. So it's like it's a it's a really interesting introduction to that villain. And again, it makes it more compelling uh, in the way that you know Killmonger was in Black Panther. When you have a really well motivated villain, it's just that much more fun, and it 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 gives more stakes and reality to the to all the scenes. So we are going to get into Thor: Love and Thunder. We'll do our best with movies. It's a little bit more difficult than with TV shows, yeah. obviously, because they're longer. There's a little bit more. And actually, with the TV shows, I always have the script. So I can really go through yeah. everything and a lot of the uh, the direct quotes here. We'll hit all the big chunks and we'll go you know, through a lot of the important parts of the movie and we'll do it chronologically. And uh, it's a perfect place to start because Tim was just talking about the start of the movie and we open in that desert. It's a barren desert and we see a, a man and his dying daughter, and that is Gore, and his daughter, Love. And we just hear her say, I'm tired, and, I mean, minutes into the movie, we have a kid dying. Yeah. This is, like, Maybe. one of the no-nos no in, in storytelling and in movies is kids don't die. But right off the bat, right. we, uh, we're hit hard. And I think it, it, it's a good choice because it, it is – impactful right away like you said we're rooting for this guy his daughter dies and it so it is heavy right off the bat i just feel like this this character and this story could have been best explored in maybe a different property maybe. you know yeah it's because there's so much to gore in this story like i and i know it's obviously in the comics it came in with thor uh, but just I, I like this story so much and him as a villain now, yeah. well, to your point there, uh, in the comics, it actually also ties into uh, symbiote and venom mythology. Yeah, I you're right. That's that's the origin of of um, of his powers there. I, I believe of the sword and, and whatnot. So uh, uh, they don't just don't have the rights to that. So that's one of two major changes uh, that they made for Gore in this. Uh, the other being the overall look of him. They kind of changed his look here because uh in the comics he looks way too close to to Voldemort. Yes. No nose. Yeah. yeah. They said that if you if they would have gone with the no nose it would have looked like a total rip on uh, on Voldemort. So <laughs> the the gods have not given to to him. His people, his family, they have been in this desert like land. They have supported and prayed to the gods. They've thanked the gods for everything, but now this man has watched his family die and he is alone and he hears something kind of calling out to him and he finds something in the desert that just completely stands out. It almost looks like a mirage because right in the middle of this barren desert, you have this like oasis that looks like this lush forest with trees and flowers and he walks over towards it and it's it's an area where the gods live. That was created by the sun god Rapu, the bringer of light. Gore walks in there, barely able to move, and Rapu and he, he tells Rapu what's been going on, and this guy just mocks him, like he doesn't care. He 
basically, you know, tells him, oh, look, I just I just killed this guy over here. And I mean, it was it was like appalling to see how little Rep who cared about the, the struggles of his people and yeah. lying be- beside them is a, a god who's just been killed and there's a sword and that sword is what is calling to gore and it's called the necro sword and this is kind of cool it reminds me of a lot of things that we've seen throughout storytelling it one of the recaps i was watching compared it to the ebony blade we don't know a whole lot about the ebony blade what i like comparing this thing to is you know the ring from lord of the rings mm. Kind of like uh, yeah. the dark saber in Star Wars, it's yeah. it's this powerful sword that can kill the gods. It can also take you to eternity into the shadow realm. But when you wield it, it weighs on you. It yeah. it transfers you. It changes you into this sort of evil being. Um, it's kind of similar to what we're going to see happen with uh, with Jane kind of on the flip side when she wields Mjolnir, it weighs on her right. and it it it's like it drains her. It's it's kind of like when you see people in Star Wars use the force sometimes and it kind of drains them. This is like what happens when you use this weapon now. And it, it also has that corrupting influence as well, uh, you know, similar, like you said, to the Ring of Power and Lord of the Rings or even the Darkhold like we saw recently in uh, Multiverse of Madness. Great point. As Gore gets the Necro Sword and he kills Rapu. And he and the gods, when they bleed, they bleed gold. A lot of these gods. Yeah. Not like Thor. Thor, I remember he bled actual blood when he was fighting with the Avengers. But these gods, they actually bleed gold. And this sword now basically engulfs. Gore, the Necro Sword, and he is now completely gray in color. And a lot of the representation we see of the Shadow Realm is gray because it's this absence of color, not even darkness or light, just sort of nothingness. So that's our uh, our open, and that is it's a, it's a pretty impactful way to start a movie. I would say, yeah. you know, I thought I thought the the opening scene, I had no problems with it. But it mm-hmm. it's so different from the, what the tone of where we go right after this is. Yeah. It's so different. And that it, that's not always bad in movies. But mm-hmm. in just in this particular movie, it felt – I saw one word that was written in, a, in multiple recaps that I was reading. And I agree with the word jarring. Mm. Yeah. When you just move from the one to the next, it's like, am I watching the same thing here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this opening uh, sequence I thought was really well done and it felt like a real film, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think what happens is uh, it kind of devolves into sketches uh, the more we go a- a- along. And it'll kind of. It is. It's almost like Saturday Night Live. You're right. It's yeah. like sketch stuff. You're right. Yeah, it, it just doesn't. It, it feels like the it's moment to moment and a lot of the, you know, the character interactions, the dialogue doesn't necessarily support the overarching story of it all it, it, it's just to serve like a laugh in the moment uh often often too often in this movie I'll, I'll say uh and so it just undermines i think the reality of it all and undermines the stakes of it all uh you know uh 
they've set the the table here with uh, some really compelling stuff. And I think also some darkly funny stuff, like the way that the gods are, are cruel here. It's, it's funny and kind of silly and almost ridiculous in a way, but it's, it's believable. It doesn't feel like they push it too far. It, it seems appropriate mm-hmm. to these out of touch gods to act this way. Well, it's almost um, like how you think of the world with like politicians and leaders, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. It's it, it is kind of a little like a microcosm of things happening in society right now. Sure. Um, I agree. I thought that was 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 the thing that was well done. And now we get to Thor. We actually have Korg tell the story of Thor. Um, this this was actually kind of funny. Korg is telling the tale just like you would see any ancient peoples pass down myths <laughs> and stories. He's sitting there with a group of kids. And he's telling the tale to these uh, Asgardian kids. Um, and as he's talking about Thor, this hero, we get a montage of Thor through the years. And, and this is, I think, was this one to Enya's only time? I think this. <laughs> I, didn't, I think so, I, yeah, yeah. I think it was, which is just so, and who can say, you know, that's just, <laughs> that's, that, that's great. Um, like, those are the kind of things that are funny that I, I'm fine with. Right. You can play songs. You can have clips and cuts of stuff. It's when you try to go the the dialogue to me felt just over overly forced comedic. Um, and yeah. and um, like I was saying, sometimes things just felt like disingenuous with the people that were saying them. But something like this, where you get a montage of Thor, young, we get baby Thor, and then a little bit older Thor and teen Thor, and we're seeing him training we see thor young thor with like a tiny hammer um <laughs> then we see him on a pirate ship with this woman you know um like swashbuckling on this pirate ship we see thor just getting down with a wolf woman <laughs> which is which is like a <laughs> nod to later in the movie when there's a couple lichen kids that might be Thor's kids. Who knows? Maybe he's got some wolf children running around <laughs> I out didn't there. Catch that. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, I'm fully on board at this point, by the way. Like, me too. Uh, me too. all this so, like, stuff, this montage, really cool. This kind of stuff is perfect. This isn't the stuff that bothers me. It's when it feels yeah. like you said, it when it when the tone shifts to where it feels like, am I watching mad TV? Yeah. Like, yeah. what what is what's going on? Um we see a clip of Thor in 2011, Thor in 2013. We see Fat Thor. We see Thor with the Guardians, Thor at the time of Endgame. Then we see him losing weight, and on well, as he's training, he's got the hat on where you know he crossed it out, and it's written Strongest Avenger on, on the <laughs> hat, the trucker hat that he's wearing. Even little things with the costumes and the wardrobe, I, don't, I thought yeah. those nods are funny and fine. That that kind of stuff I don't have a problem with. At one point he's wearing a T-shirt that's like a nod to a Kurt Russell character in a different movie. You know, like yeah. I, I enjoy those kind of things a lot. I thought those are really fun and creative. Um, as uh, our first real look at Thor here is him meditating under a tree. Stormbreaker was planted and has now grown roots, but. Thor is approached by these locals. It doesn't really tell us where they are, but these are the Indigarians. They're blue-looking aliens, and they ask Thor for help. Their god has been murdered by Gore, so 
they need help from Thor. So our first look at is Thor. He's meditating. He he's kind of without purpose at the moment. He's been with the Guardians. He's traveling with them. They're sort of in a you know answering. You know they're they're the the guardians of the gals. They're the police, the space police, right? They're like answering random calls, distress calls for people here and there that need some help. But but he's not part of the Avengers. He doesn't have Jane. He he lost his brother, and he had so many people around him that he was close to pass on. He doesn't. He seems just to kind of be floating around here and floundering, and yeah. not have a whole lot. Yeah, he's like literally floating in space uh, right now, and it's uh. It's an interesting place to find him. It makes sense, you know, following everything that happened, you know, in, in Endgame and, you know, losing Loki, losing Tony and Natasha, the Avengers essentially, you know, I don't know if that would say disbanding, but they, they're never going to be the same again. And he's lost all of his, all of his family uh, as well as father, his mother, his whole, uh, you know, Asgard is gone or at least, you know, gone in the way that it was before. Now it's, all, you know, in new Asgard, of course. Uh, but it, it's, it's things aren't the same, and so he's just kind of a man without a home, and it makes sense for him to be out there with uh, Peter Quill and the gang. So he actually rides Stormbreaker at one point, like a witch would ride their broom, and then they're kind of making fun of him for riding the <laughs> for riding it in. The as happens often, Thor and the Guardians are able to to get the job done. They're able to destroy these raiders. And they're able to help the the aliens save their home, but it's not the cleanest of uh, of operations. They destroy the local people's temple along the way, and it's it's kind of playing into what yeah. we just saw in the open, where you know these gods don't really care a whole lot about the people. Did Thor help? Did he get the job done? Yes. Did he save mm. them? Yes. But in doing so, he completely disrespected. What they had asked, they had, in fact jokingly call him the god of destruction. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a really interesting parallel, you know, to with with Thor and the rest of the gods there, and I, I think that's a uh, an important part of uh, his arc in this movie. Um, you know, because for him it, it seems more ignorance than for the other gods, yeah. right? I think for Thor it's more not realizing what's happening not taking a minute to to pay attention. He's not someone who usually doesn't heed the calls like some of the mm-hmm. other gods. He's just sort of like, oh, I, that's happening? Out of sight, out of might. Or, oh, what did I do? I just did that too. I, I think we see a good, you're right, we see a good arc for him at the end to where he's 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 different, obviously, right? We, he, yeah. th- what's important to him is love. Right. Yeah, compassion for, you know, other people, you know, uh, you know, not just selfishness. The, the gods are clearly selfish gods, uh, as they're depicted in in this movie. And it's it's a big help for Thor to see it because the, before they go to visit the gods, it would be like you and me going to Comic Con to visit a lot of these people. We were they were jazz <laughs> like Thor was jazz. Oh my god, I'm gonna see Zeus and Hercules. Right. Oh my god, I'd be like talking about seeing the Dodgers and the Lakers. You know, like he was. This, these are people that he's known his whole life that he thinks are good. He thinks yeah. they help people. He doesn't think these gods are bad people. So right. it, it's a little bit eye-opening for him to see what other people have to experience asking the gods for help and them not helping. He yes. actually, for the first time, exactly. really had to experience what we all experience as 
plebeians down here as our regular right. folk, you know? Um, and that's, that was the issue too. I mean, with, with Gore, it was that he was devoted and in need and these gods had the means to help. Uh, and he was asking for help and they just laughed at him, and, you know, and, that, that lack of compassion there. And I don't get the gist that Gore was asking for the world either. I think he was just asking for a little food for his family. They, he right. seemed like yeah. they seemed like the type that was just, hey, give a little food, a little water, and we're still going to worship you. And the, the gods and Rapu couldn't even acknowledge those legitimate asks and wants. Just nourishment for my family so we can stay alive. Ah, nah, screw you guys. Um, yeah, and that's something that as a – I know – Gore isn't technically human per se, but like as a human, uh, you know, he he didn't have the the ability to uh, he he didn't have the ability to. Uh, oh, shit, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry but, about that. Well, well like, no, but like the, the way that the, I, I sort of know where you're going. He's not a god. Right. He mm-hmm. he needs he wants. He is right. he is not and not powerful just like any one of us he there's nothing he can do he's mm-hmm. at the mercy of everybody else and it's it is sort of eye opening to see and i think it's 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 well done in in that approach and that sort of um theme throughout the movie i actually really mm-hmm. like i enjoy because that's honest at every level of history and we've seen things like this people asking not being helped by the leaders, the rulers, the gods, whatever, and war beginning. And um, I, I thought it was – I really liked, yeah. liked what they were doing with Gore. Uh, I thought a lot of it was really good. And and then you have Jane, who we're, we, uh, we see again, and her storyline is so real. Who doesn't know someone who's had cancer? Who doesn't yeah. know someone who's had to go through chemo? In your family, one of your friends who you probably walked into the hospital with and sat next to them while they've gotten some of their chemo. And she gets an MRI. She's getting some chemotherapy treatment. And I love when she's getting it. She's sitting down next to another patient who's reading a book. And it's her book. And she she smiles. And she starts – she gets all excited to start explaining wormholes and science to this guy. You know, she's sitting there as she's – literally dying and having poison pumped into her body and she's still getting excited to share knowledge with the person next to her i thought that was a just a cool little excerpt of what they want her to be and and who she is um because see i i have have an issue with that scene Uh, and i think it to me it, it stands out as an example of what you brought up before of where they're going for the joke and it undermines the reality of the scene um, to me, she's she's a brilliant scientist, and I like that moment of her, you know, explaining the Eisenberg uh, Rosenbridge or Eisenstein Rosenbridge. Uh, but but and it's 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 kind of like a, a meta joke about you know how many times we've seen this thing uh, explained in movies. She literally name drops the movies that we've already seen this done before, and then she ruins the guy's book. It's it's a silly kind of fun gag that I I like on the surface. Okay, but. In reality, Jane Jane Foster's not going to do that. She's she's not going to destroy somebody's book to explain a very simple thing. She would talk through it like she would be an actual scientist. To me, it felt that, like this is a scientist on TV, 
not a real so scientist that we're supposed that to be. I, I agree. I agree completely with the book part is it, <laughs> I like her interacting with the guy <laughs> and explaining to him. Right. I like because right. that seems authentic to her character that she is a teacher. I, I even thought it was weird where it's like, isn't that book like heavy reading? You know what I mean? Like, is some right. random guy next to you going to be reading that, like the Foster theory? I, that that's it's not likely. But right, yeah. like I mean, the, the if you think dude. about it, though, it's probably pop relevant, pop culture relevant. Like with with this what's is a person been, that she dated Thor. So yeah, I mean, like been more happening. a lot of people are going to be reading the scientist's book that dated Thor. But but you know what? In in our our back and forth on this scene is exactly the problem with the movie. I think a lot of the problems with the movie is that there was something that on paper might have looked good or maybe had good intentions or even in watching it, I can take a, a positive part out of it. But at the same time, you're looking at something and I'm still looking at something that doesn't work in it. Like right. I like as someone who has been sick before, I I like the fact that she's sitting there and she's still herself when she's got the chemo going through her. She sees she wants to talk to the person next to her, but yeah, like, is it a little too cute that it's her book, you know, and it's in the way she explains it. Like she said, is that she takes the pages out and she's doing that. I don't know. Is that her more of her personality or is that something that looks a little cute on screen? Um, I think it's the latter. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Now, Darcy is with her. Shout out to Darcy. We uh, have not seen her right in WandaVision and and it's sad when we see Jane chatting with Dr. Eric Selvig. His name's been mentioned recently, was just brought up in uh, by Bruno in Miss Marvel. His attempts to do immunotherapy on her blood have failed. Um, so she's kind of out of options because the chemo isn't really working fast enough for her. And it and some of the radical things they were they were working on don't seem to be they can't really get any more information so now she's in she's in a point where it's a scary place to be where they basically say like we don't really have very much more we can do for you Mm -hmm. and she's trying to find out what else can she do and she's starting to get kind of calls herself she's hearing the calls from mjolnir it's not quite the same as the necro sword but mjolnir has been um sworn to protect her and now at this moment, she is as close to death as she's ever been. And she gets the idea that thinking possibly some of these magical enchanted tools could help cure her. Could they help save her life, extend her life? And she actually heads to New Asgard, which is what, Disney World now? Disneyland? Yeah. I mean, total tourist Victoria. attraction commercialized yeah. we've got rides we've got ice cream shop that's called what infinity cones we've got a bar got cruise ships out like docked outside yeah and, them. and the best part of this though is is the running gag that they have with the theater company that acts yes. out <laughs> the events of the prior thor so yeah. in ragnarok in yep in ragnarok we had this group acting out what had happened in thor and now they're acting out what had happened in Ragnarok. And it's mm-hmm. Matt Damon with a small cameo. It's Luke Hemsworth, <laughs> uh, Chris's brother. 
Sam Neill, which is awesome because he's done so much with uh, with Taika through the years and uh, from uh, recently Jurassic Park doing the last one. Yeah. And then Melissa McCarthy was actually in there also as Hella. So yeah, I, it makes me love actors so much more when they show up and can't have cameos like this and, and little things here and there when they're not when they're able to not take themselves all that seriously. I, I think this is great. Like, I love I love mm-hmm. the fact that. You, I'm sure Matt Damon gets a real kick out of playing Loki. You can just tell that he does yeah. in these scenes. Like he's he's in it. Oh yeah, they're having fun. It reminds me a lot of um, when you see uh, Damon and Affleck in any Kevin Smith movie. Oh it's yeah, that kind of energy. They're just they're just playing around, having fun. Da- Damon is so good in Dogma, you know, yes. and they both are. Yeah. But like in Dogma, when he just becomes so serious too, and he just. Oh, good, good stuff. Like this made me chuckle. Um, no doubt about it. Looking at this new Asgard as we flash back to see that Thor and the Guardians have helped the Indigarians, not gracefully. And in it is a sign of uh, appreciation. The Indigarians give Thor these goats. It's also like the opposite of a, a sign of appreciation because these goats are just screaming <laughs> and they're annoying and they're just like miserable to try to take care of because they're kicking yeah. and destroying every single thing. But when when people talk about this movie 10 years from now, I think one of the first things yeah. that they'll probably mention are the goats, right? <laughs> yeah, that was a gag I really did think was that that worked. I thought it was funny. It was it was a little bit of a chuckle every time, you know, there would be a transition to a new scene. They'd be going somewhere and they would arrive like, and ah! these goats would just be still screaming. Yeah, <laughs> so that that was definitely fun. And it was I, I thought it was a nice nod to um, that viral video uh, of that goat mm-hmm. screaming. I thought that that's what it, what it was. Yeah. They, they did that Taylor uh, Swift trouble remix, too. I think so, maybe new rock stars or somebody might have mentioned that, too. The uh, the goats are named Tooth Grinder and Tooth Masher, yeah. as uh, they we see them in the ship the, in the Guardian ship just wrecking stuff all over and uh, <laughs> yeah that that's that was a, a good chuckle, but Thor notices a distress call from Lady Sif, so he's gonna go answer it. He says bye to the Guardians, and Thor, Korg, and the goats use Stormbreaker. To buy frost over to Lady Sif. We didn't talk much about the Guardians before. Oh yeah, you're right. And you know what? They didn't. They didn't feel like they were a big part of this, did they? They They sort of felt like window dressing, just kind of like in the back. Like he's there. We got the handshake. We got fruit a little bit, but there's not all that much memorable stuff from them at the beginning of this, is there? I honestly don't think so. Uh, and it's it's a weird kind of dichotomy here because I felt like they were going to do it, like have them be almost like a cameo. Uh, but they were actually on for a little bit more screen time than I expected, but it didn't amount to anything. I know, it still you're totally like right. Nothing happened, really. There was a couple of good chuckles there. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of felt bad in a, in a weird way. I felt bad for Chris Pratt just because of all the negative social media energy around him and then i was thinking about the the dynamic of like jurassic world this coming out to to kind of poor reviews the the prime project like he had three projects drop all at the same time that i don't think did 
quite well. So I could no. kind of see this as being like one of the last big pushes of his career before he kind of drops down a peg. A, a I, I think he might be doing that right I now. I agree and with it's, you it's, completely. It's kind of sad to see that happening uh, to his career because I've always liked him and I, I always too? kind of found the backlash against him unfounded and kind of weird. It was uh, sort of weird because like he didn't really – It was – yeah, he was one of the weirder ones because he didn't really seem like he did much. He was just sort of – I, I um, he's Christian. That was one of the things that really bothered people on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> he's Christian. That's basically but the, I, the juck of it. I agree. It felt like, okay, well, it, we're getting more than just seeing them. They're here for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or, you know, at least a, a good, maybe even the first quarter of the movie, they're in it or yeah. they're, they're, they're around, but it doesn't feel like they're doing a whole heck of a lot. Um, so, yeah, that was. Maybe a couple missed opportunities there with uh, with the Chris's, but Thor, Korg, and the goats, they go to check on Lady Sif. And when they arrive, they can tell that a battle has occurred. And Lady Sif looks like she's about to die. She's lost an arm. And the, I actually I actually laughed at this part. I thought yeah. it was pretty funny because <laughs> the technicality of it all. Yeah. Because Lady Ooh. Sif is Lady Sif's like Oh, I'm about to die. This actually reminded me yeah. of like the Will Smith and Austin Powers scene where he keeps falling mm. down and, and he's like, Oh, I'm okay. I think I'm oh, alive. Will Ferrell. Will, yes, yes, Will Smith. Will, Will, yeah. Will Ferrell, absolutely. The the Will Ferrell character where he can oh damn yeah. three times. Oh, okay, I have to answer you, you know. So <laughs> I think it's uh, Austin Powers too. Um Lady Sif's arm is off and she's go she's they they approach her and they talk with her and she says, at least I'll be able to go to Valhalla. And Thor's like, oh, well, you didn't die in battle, so you won't be going to Valhalla. Uh, maybe your arm will be. It was just this, yeah. like, she's about to die. And then the yeah. look on her face is like, oh, my God. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I, I just, I, I, this is actually was one of the more naturally funny chuckles I had yeah. in, the, in the movie, just thinking about, uh, thinking about all of it. So, uh, poor Poor Lady Sif, as Thor reminds her uh, that Valhalla is not going to be for her. But Gore comes to New Asgard, and as he does, I, I liked a lot of what they did with him too. Just as it's it's in the it's in the night, so it's all ominous and dark mm -hmm. when he arrives to kidnap the children. Mm -hmm. And so it's Gore, and I think they're referenced. Are they like shadow beasts, shadow creatures? The like the beings, shadow beasts, I think, yeah, I think that, that he has with yeah. them from the shadow realm. And so Gore attacks New Asgard and mm -hmm. as all of the people defend themselves, Thor hears Mjolnir mm -hmm. in the middle of this big battle going on. Yeah. And he's all excited. It's like how you would feel seeing one of your exes and he reaches his hand out and Mjolnir goes right past him to Jane. And we see the, the first look of Jane as Thor. And she looked, I thought she looks great. I thought yeah. she looked great as Thor. Like the, I thought the reveal of her, um, yeah. the, like, as I mentioned before, she obviously had been working out a lot because her arms were super toned up. I thought she looked really, really good. And even the way Chris Hemsworth was reacting to this, the 
this was one of the parts of the movie, the funny stuff that hit with me, as it did with you, the Mjolnir, uh, Stormbreaker, Jane, yeah. Thor, sort of love uh, back and forth with all of them. I, I enjoyed yeah. this, and I thought this was kind of funny, and, and now all of a sudden, Thor is in this, like, awkward... Ex, my ex-girlfriend's here. Uh-oh. I'm trying to act cool, which he plays off very well, Hemsworth does. Yeah. Yeah, the, the comedy that comes from all those dynamics you just mentioned, like, totally worked for me. And I love uh, Hemsworth's performance in this. Uh, and Portman, I, I think, was was great in this. Although I would say she's phoning it in a little bit. That was just my opinion. Uh, I, I felt that she wasn't giving her all, like, you know, Christian Bale necessarily was. But that's just my opinion. Like I said, uh, she looked great. Like you said, uh, in the outfit, uh, in the costume, uh, I thought it was really believable. I did. I do think there was a little bit of Fugazi um, press going on there around. You know, did she really bulk up for that role? Uh, that 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 was CG. I'm pretty sure that that was a a lot of CG. They, and they said they were used, at least used it to make her taller. So I th- that's what Kevin Feige said, and yeah. that's, that's that's confirmed. And Kevin Feige denied that they bulked up her muscles, but I've seen images that say very much otherwise. So I'll yeah. just put it that I think that might be that I don't know. There might they might have been trying to to hide something about the storyline. Maybe they didn't want to reveal that she was uh, you know also playing a cancer patient in this because sure. she had to also film those scenes too while they were doing it. So it didn't make sense for her to actually bulk up her arms to then also play cancer scenes in half in half the movie. That's a great point. That's a that's a really good point as uh, she's swinging the hammer around. Now at this point, Thor is still worthy, but remember, we're going to see in just a moment in this montage that he's actually asked, Mjolnir to always protect Jane and to always take care of her first. So that's why Mjolnir at this moment is choosing Jane over Thor. It's not as if Thor is not worthy. It's just that is the promise uh, to keep first. So the montage comes up. Flashbacks of Thor and Jane and their relationship. Silly moments. Um, Like you would see in any relationship montage. Them making pancakes um, a Halloween party, you know, where they're right, what dressed if Thor up. Call, Thor calls him something later. <laughs> oh, the pancakes? Pancake. Yeah. Flapcakes or something. Flapcakes. Like he calls him Flapcakes. Yeah. And Nick, he, he can't call Nick Fury, Nick, uh, Nick, Nick Furry. Furry. Nick Furry. Yeah. With their, with too. Yeah. And then, you know what? They actually reference a couple times some of the shorts that they did, the little pop up short movies. Uh, the roommate. The uh, roommate, Daryl. Yeah. Daryl, yeah, yeah. Uh, which are funny. So I guess He's a that's a tour guide now at New Asgard. <laughs> that's um, sort of become canon, uh, it, it seems <laughs> like at least. And we see the moment where Thor asked Mjolnir to always protect Jane no matter what. We see the kind of the breakup stuff. And yeah, I actually thought their the montages they did in the movie were pretty good. Both of them, the one with the younger Thor and the one here. Um, with Thor and Jane, and uh, yeah. then we get the awkwardness of of coming together with your ex, you know, where you're, hey, how long has it been? Oh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's been a while, and almost Thor a decade. Knows, yeah, <laughs> Thor knows exactly down to the date and to the time. Yeah. And for Jane, it's different because she actually blipped. Yeah. So for Jane, time. 
it doesn't feel like quite as long. And Thor walks over and he's like, oh, yeah, it's been uh, eight years, seven months, six days, five hours and 32 seconds. <laughs> you know, and Jane's yeah. sort of like grins because it's kind of cute, but also kind of awkward, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And we just have a little, you know, a few minutes of some fun, awkward ex-boyfriend, girlfriend stuff uh, for them. Um, and then that Stormbreaker, Thor, Mjolnir, Jane, love quadrilateral that uh, is also yeah. sort of fun. We have uh, Meek taking minutes at the meeting. And when they're in New Asgard, it's Thor, it's Jane, it's Valkyrie, it's Korg. And they're all planning out what they should do next. Because Gore came in, he attacked them. Gore kidnapped the kids. They were able to get away from Gore, but he has taken the kids from them. So they need to get the kids back. And... What ends up happening at this point, one of the children named Axel, after Axel Rose, yes, he's got the yeah. poster in his room, he's <laughs> Heimdall's son. And yeah. as being Heimdall's son, he has some of the same powers that Heimdall has. He is able to use his powers to speak to Thor so that way he can let Thor know where they are and Thor can see that they are in the shadow realm. So they know where they need to go now as Thor actually describes the shadow realm as a place where the atmosphere has a darkness like no other as if color fears to tread um so they now have a plan they now have a purpose to go to get the kids back from gore he has them trapped in the shadow realm they don't really know why gore has taken the kids Mainly his purpose is to kill all of the gods, they think. So they're not exactly sure what the plan is for Gore. We're going to find out in a little while that Gore needs to get to Stormbreaker, to get the Bifrost, to get to Eternity. There's a there's a method to Gore's madness. But for Thor, for Jane, for Valkyrie, for Korg, they know they have a team now, but they're not sure... If their team is going to be enough to deal with Gore and the shadow monsters So makes sense We see this in a lot of these Marvel movies You gotta go ask big for guns. some help Right? You yeah. gotta go Bring out the big guns Bring in the big guns Let's find the team up yeah. Let's go get the gods So let's head to Omnipotent City <laughs> um, Before they go to seek help Thor is geeked out Oh my god, okay, we yeah. gotta go to an omnipotent th- city And we're gonna ask them, and oh, Zeus might be there And Hercules might be there And, you know, growing up, he's heard Tales of these Incredible gods Who have helped save the people And all-powerful And we're on the way To omnipotent city Now, Gore or be- Before this, we actually get a flashback Of, uh, of Jane's mom dying of cancer Too, which is Kind of sad, so we know that we've seen a lot of people now in the MCU with cancer. That's that's something that they've done in a lot of different uh, different movies and and some of our our properties. So Jane continuing to struggle, but what what happens, Tim, is when she has Mjolnir, she looks like the buffer, stronger superhero. When she's not wielding the hammer, she's completely back to cancer patient um and it's and it like drains everything out of her mm-hmm. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's um, like you said earlier, it's like pulling away. I think they explained it specifically in a little bit that it's it's pulling out all of her treatment, basically. Like all of the, the toxins in her body are removed. And since chemo is a toxin, that now her chemotherapy is not effective anymore. So Thor uses Stormbreaker. He, he, he puts it on the front of, of uh, one of these floating Asgard tour boats. And... And and he just puts it on the front And it's like It's going to direct them now So now they're all on this boat They got the goats on there with them The goats are actually leading the way As Stormbreaker kind of creates a bridge For the goats to uh, to run on And the Bifrost is actually like this bridge platform What did you think of some of the visuals here? I thought uh, I like the psychedelia of it all uh, I you know, I it was very colorful. I, uh, they did, had a lot of visual gags. Um, overall, it felt uneven visually, though. Uh, I there were moments that I thought were were they totally nailed it. Um, you know, if we jump ahead a little bit when they go black and white, I totally. Liked, yeah, but it was inconsistent. It really was. It felt like you know what, and this is the reality of the of it. It felt like it was produced by a lot of different teams. You're absolutely by different right. People. And that's what they're doing. They're farming out to all these different CGI houses. Uh, and, you know, these are uh, non-union houses. They're, they vary in their experience levels uh, and their, uh, their, you know, just overall effectiveness. And so they give certain shots that, that, you know, they tier the importance of it all. They give certain shots to certain houses. And then they have deadlines they got to meet and uh, they they cut them off at a certain point and we get what we get, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're, we're seeing here uh, play out. But overall, like, I think I mentioned this before, there are some inspired bold choices and visually that's, that's super true. Uh, but ultimately that unevenness kind of brings the whole thing down. So we get to omnipotent city where the gods live. It's a, well, more of like a big meeting place of the powerful gods in... Speaking of visuals, this is very much like Asgard. Like the look of Omnipotent mm-hmm. City just reminds me of like such a bigger Asgard. Yep, absolutely. Waterfalls, infinity pools. I wrote the same thing. Lots of similarities to Asgard. As uh, Jane is workshopping some catchphrases. Now she's a superhero. Now this isn't something she's ever done. She's using the hammer. She's check out my hammer. Eat this hammer. Like okay, hey Bart Simpson, <laughs> you know. Eat my shorts over there But it it's sort of corny But she's kind of corny Like that's not a yeah. awful thi- thing Right like that's something that Kamala would be doing in Miss Marvel Right you know she's trying to mm-hmm. to Workshop her character name And anyone that's sort of a Okay who, who am I now as a superhero What's my catchphrase corny stuff But that's yeah. fine I, I Honestly though that one again Sorry got you that one got you me. It got me as we're her, it was something about her performance of it. I think you know, it just the the idea of the scene itself was fine to me, but I don't know if it was the the examples that she gave just weren't funny enough or just didn't didn't feel right. It didn't seem clever like that. I don't think Jane Foster would have had shitty uh, catchphrases like that. I think she would have come up with something a little bit better, but like that also pun. still no, sucked. no, it would have been well, you know, it would have been punny. Um, and I'm, right, I'm, it would have been a try, try hard or something. It would have been yes. trying too hard, but it would have been like too clever 
or mm-hmm. something like that. It, but instead, she just did like it was like, who is this character? It was it, it was a, like, it was like childlike. It, that that it sounded like something that you would have heard from a child, not from a really smart scientist who sometimes can be dorky. You know, like a right. more of a dorky one. I agree. I didn't. I don't. I like that it played a part in the end. When they have that little moment where she whispers the catchphrase in it at the end and and makes you think, what is it going to be? But I I would have liked some more clever ones. I I agree on that point one hundred percent. Can we we couldn't have gotten a few more, just something a little dorkier than the really basic like yeah. check out my hammer. Um, now we get to the kids and we see that Axe is actually comforting the other kidnapped kids, telling them stories of Thor and how Stormbreaker was created. And Gore appears and just terrifies these kids by like ripping off the head of a serpent. Yeah. He's really scary, and I like a lot of what they did with him. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, maybe he's almost too scary. That's why maybe they had to cut some of the stuff out. Uh, I, I heard you know comments, or I read comments about that online. Uh, that, that you know theories about why it felt like there was pieces missing, or why it was only two hours, and that. It probably was gore stuff that you know was had to be cut for to make that R rating to make this a little bit more palatable uh, for kids because uh, you know there's a lot of kids in this movie and they do a lot of things that feel like they're explicitly for kids, which again just very strange when you have someone who's so scary as a gore the god butcher. Um, I will say though it it kind of does remind me of uh, an old movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Uh, whenever you have when you have the, the kids, the large group of kids being kidnapped and the, the villain there in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang uh, haunts my dreams. I mean, that that was for whatever. I don't even know that guy's name, but like he scares the crap out of me when I think about him. Now we uh, we see these hundreds of gods, maybe um, Thor, Jane, Korg, Valkyrie are disguised as emotion gods. They have some cloaks put on them so that way nobody can tell who they are. But as they walk into this meeting, we see Zeus, who's sort of leading the meeting, uh, played by Russell Crowe, a big fat Russell Crowe with a Greek accent. We we could have we could probably spend hours diving into all of the gods that you may be able to see if you really zoom in. Uh, there's a big golden dragon. There's Bao, the god of dumplings. There's the god of magic, god of music, god of carpentry. Yeah. Maybe that's Jesus. Um we see some celestials. We see an old Cronin god who's sitting on a throne of scissors, which is a, a definite Whoa, nod man. to Game of Thrones um, and the Iron Throne. We see a sycophant. And a nod to rock, paper, scissors. Of rock, course. paper, scissors, yeah. of course, with Korg. <laughs> when, and uh, um, we see the sycophant gods, Dionysus, a Mayan god, a Maori god, a Jade Mari god, an elk goddess, Minerva, um, this little furry god. Um, we see the panther goddess. We see Ra. So, and those are just ones that I could pick up. That is one thing that's difficult about this movie. I think you could watch it fifteen or twenty times and still not pick up all of the little yeah. Easter eggs in the background of things because it's it moves at such a fast pace. That's I do yeah. like that in a positive sense. In that the movie moves quickly. But then on the mm-hmm. flip side, there might be one or two times where things might have needed a little more time to breathe. You know, yeah. Um, so it's it's like the flip side. What do you want? Do you want a movie that's fast paced and like quickly moving, or do you want one that can really flesh out some of its best stuff? I think this this movie 
what what I keep in in us talking it out, it just feels like with this movie and a lot of the more recent Marvel stuff, sometimes when they try to do too much, it's when they mm-hmm. get into trouble. They try to weave in all these storylines into a six episode TV run, mm-hmm. and then we're like, how are you going to f- finish all these things up? Um, I think this is a big reason why it feels so uneven, is because they really do move through at a quick pace when you're talking about plot points, you mm-hmm. know, moving from point A to point B, all you and know, locations and yeah. yeah. But with regard to the individual scenes and moments, they really linger and and you know do a lot of improvisation and really let that breathe in a way that just feels jarring when you go from that. So then you're jumping ahead to uh, a, a different locale, like you mentioned. Uh, it's it's strange. Like they're not really take, giving enough room to breathe for you know these important plot points, or they're not even giving us enough plot points necessarily. They're putting too much of the time into these um, you know jokes. Really, I, I think that they could have too cut much a few investment. Of them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Zeus. Is obsessed with what's going to happen in this year's orgy. He's the uh, he's the oldest of the gods remaining, and he is just awful, just <laughs> awful. Like he's pompous. All he cares about is sex. He doesn't seem to care at all about what's going on with Gore and uh, the the other gods that are being killed. So <laughs> Thor actually goes up and asks for help, and Zeus strips him down with just a flick. You flipped me too hard. As uh, we see Thor's naked butt And on his back he has some tattoos R.I.P. Loki, brothers It's a crown with horns And a little tribute to Tony, Natasha, Heimdall yeah. Some of the, the people that he's lost In uh, in his life um, I love a good so, hideous back tattoo Oh it was <laughs> awful It's so bad, the back tattoos are so bad Like uh, the tattoos in places like that Because then you just know each year Every year and year as you get in worse shape And the wrinkles come in <laughs> What it's going to look like yeah. um, So the Thor's Attempt to Rally the troops just Doesn't work at all And he, he's kind of surprised because I mean he's a god People ask him for help He helps but I'm sure when he's gone And never asked anyone for anything they have always given it to him. He's been in this royal family forever. He had this destiny. And now he's going and asking for help. And they're just kind of laughing at him and saying, nah, we're we're cool here. We can stay right here. They're never gonna find us. Um, they're never gonna get Gore's never gonna get to eternity. So we're better off just sitting right here. Screw everyone else. Yeah. It's that humbling moment of, you know, Thor is immortal relative to uh to, to Zeus here and, and to, to all these gods He's put in that position like you mentioned earlier Of, of being immortal And you know asking of, of them and being you know kind of having His his prayers ignored uh, it's, it's a great uh, Scene I think for the The, the visuals and, and the fight That happens here yeah. and I think there's some really Funny stuff that happens in this scene But uh, it again suffers I think a little bit from just Going for the joke a little too hard where now, my my conception of the gods and of the MCU and the hierarchy of things is a little bit diminished. I feel mm-hmm. like they sacrificed the the grandeur of 
of that realm of, or all these realms uh, for the sake of some some cheap cheap joke comedy. Yeah. And now uh, moving forward, it's going to feel less impactful or, or less threatening. It's you know, all of it just is going to feel a little bit more weightless and a little bit. Um, I don't know, just uh, like, what's the point? kind of a deal <laughs> like it's, yeah, well or, it's you know. sort of you know like we're it it reminds us of 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 some of the villains and the criminals that are just like they just don't feel like a big deal they just don't feel right. important right we've we've already been we've already made these people to be a joke now so mm-hmm. are you going to be able to come back and have him be a big bad or to be a villain in another project if so you're going to have to do some tweaking and some changing because he came yeah. off here like not Badass evil, just kind of like lazy, fat. Mm-hmm. Um, the the visuals of the battle were kind of fun, and and when they bleed yeah. gold and very the, cool the thunderbolt and catching the thunderbolt and throwing it back, Thor yeah. catches it, he throws it right back at Zeus, and it stabs right through Zeus, and um, he says, Zeus. "That's the sound of thunder." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that was that was sick, man. Like I and liked then, I liked that, like. That was a catchphrase right there. <laughs> that, An right. 80s style action movie that catchphrase. Was a, that was one right there. Like that was if if Jane would have said something with a she in it, even right, right like right. anything with a girl in the catchphrase, I would have thought, oh, okay, she's got she's she's putting the female like touch on it. Sure, mm-hmm. but it was just eat this hammer, catch this hammer, like catch her <laughs> hammer, yeah. even. You know what I mean? Like something like that would have at least been like. And that's gonna bother me now too that they couldn't get more creative with that with that line. Um, yeah. So, Gore, what he's trying to do, he's trying to reach eternity, which is a powerful being at the center of the universe that will grant the desire of the first person that reaches it. And Jane even asks, like a wishing well, and that's sort of how it it's portrayed when we see them get to that place. It's a. Um, it looks like there's water. All over it. It sort of looks like a yeah. like a like a well. So Thor, Valkyrie, and Jane and Korg, who uh, I think Valkyrie puts Korg's mouth on her braids. <laughs> so keep in mind, Korg right. doesn't die unless the as long as the mouth is still good. Right. And so there's a point where it looks like he's got the like a mustache because he's got the her hair over like right over where it, where his mouth is. <laughs> um. And oh, you know what? Speaking of that, I apologize because uh, it's kind of important. I think it ties into the the weightlessness of it all and the lack of stakes. But this movie had so many examples of like, oh, this character's dead. Nah, not really. I like know. they did, they just dangle yank it. You know, I know. They're like they're they're not really killing anybody off. And you by the end of it, you kind of feel like they're you know everybody's safe. Thor's fine. There, there's a different level of stakes from like that in this movie to like think back to Infinity War Endgame where we got to oh this point gosh. of anybody can die at any point here. Like they're going to kill off our main character. I really thought Cap was going to die uh, in, in both those movies. I thought he was going to die. Absolutely. You know, Tony did die at the end mm-hmm. of Endgame and like they stuck to that. Well, think of like the difference important. of how this feels, even from like WandaVision, when Vision and her are just like the tone of losing someone, right? In this yeah. movie versus in a lot of the others that we've been watching, movies, shows, anything. I, I agree with you there. It's just there was too too much with the light for me. 
mm-hmm. um, yeah. in in moments that's that were supposed to be serious. Too, like, too yeah. much of the light hearted at that at those moments. So we're yeah, back on undermines the, reality. Yeah. yeah, we're back on the boat now, and Jane and Thor are kind of having some. Uh, they're they're sort of sharing some moments now. They're they've sort of knocked a little bit off the of the mm-hmm. rust off. Um, from the first few times they've seen each other, they're watching some space dolphins mating. Um, <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, nice, not bad. <laughs> and we also see uh, we have a moment where Korg tells us about Cronins and about how they produce a child. So, th- lots of love, lots of love here. Uh, <laughs> when they're when they're on the boat, where is the love? There is the love. It's on this boat. As they arrive in the shadow realm. It's gray. I thought that I the visuals of the Shadow Realm I absolutely loved. I thought were, is were it, excellent. Is this the part? Am I jumping ahead? But they're 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 on the boat and and they're going towards the the planet and they just slam into it because yep. the planet's like they way just, smaller. Just slam <laughs> right, exactly. Which was yeah. funny. That was something that was from Rick and Morty, I think. And, oh really? And we've seen <laughs> I it. I thought another, that was great. It was it's it was like you're like you're running into a globe that's actually there. <laughs> Right, almost. It's like it's um. The, it was a a, pers- a perspective and scale uh, trick, but it was it was is, so. This so is my big issue, and I can tell it's yours too. In that, mm-hmm. everything that pops you and me is stuff that's natural, that's setting right. stuff. It's not the dialogue. It's not the right. like the dialogue that probably was put down and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten to try to make it a little funnier and to get like a little bit more of a laugh. Cause we're smart fans. Now we do podcasts for hours of these shows. We know when they're doing something just to get a pop and it doesn't feel, it feels like we're, we're not going to pop at it when they do that. When we know something's built in there just for a laugh, you don't laugh. You laugh when something's funny. Yeah. There's a there's a there's that uh, phrase like you're reaching, you're reaching. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times they're they're reaching for the joke here where it, as it's it's not coming, uh, you know, from the fundamentals and the reality of, of the, the situation like this joke here works because uh, they're going to a new place. So it makes sense that, you know, our what we're expecting might be subverted. Uh, you know, the scale of things, the look of things, they play with color. And that that's something that works in the like the diegetic reality of this story. Love and it. and when you when you do something that kind of betrays that where it's like you have a character that's like acting not like the character would actually act. And you just have a sense of that as a as a audience member. I don't even think you need to be a, you know, quote unquote, like sophisticated uh, audience member or smart one to to really pick up on this. I think it's something that we can just innately kind of feel when something's off. You know, when 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 a show jumps the shark, as they say, that's like that's when they're reaching. They're going too far. They're 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 constructing, you know, uh, a storyline or you know uh, you know a story beat or just a joke that it is it's not believable anymore because it's too far fetched, and they have. Uh, for the sake of trying to get a reaction from us, they have, you know, essentially wrote their, wrote a lie about their characters. Like we, we've grown to like understand these characters as like a real thing. And when they're written that, you know, in a way that kind of betrays that, it feels like it's a lie. It feels like it's, it's just not truthful, even though, you know, this whole thing, we're, we're watching fiction, we're experiencing fiction here. 
it just doesn't feel truthful anymore. And that's kind of what we're all doing this for is to kind of find some sense of truth mm-hmm. to see ourselves on the screen in, in a way to see like our reality f- reflected back in a, in a new way, but in a way that it, it has to feel truthful. Um, when you lose that, you, you lose the point of it all. So in the shadow realm, you were kind of hitting on the scope and the scale is just different. There are these moving shadows. It's there's this like uh, I think Eric from New Rockstars has said it's like dizzying shadows, which is cool. There's just there's nothing that seems normal about this place or similar to other realms. And the color contrast are so vibrant. Anytime someone uses magic or wields some sort of a weapon and you see these streaks of gold or red like kind of burst through the gray and we find out that gore wants stormbreaker so he can create that bifrost to get to eternity to wish the gods away and we get a really cool fight scene and and a, a sequence here that is different we've seen a lot of fight scenes and a lot of fight sequences they're all sort of the same but but the look of this was way different, which I loved, and it felt fresh because of that. And Gore is at one point actually able uh, to gain the advantage, and he tells Thor, love is pain. My daughter is the lucky one, as she does not have to grow up in a world of pain and suffering run by the gods. Choose love, call the axe. As he wants Thor to call a stormbreaker over so that way he can uh, he can gain his uh, entryway into uh, to eternity. So there's a lot going on here, mm. but visually I like it, and I like I didn't have a whole lot of problems with what what we saw here. No, this was a really cool sequence. Uh, I love the black and white choice, and I think you mentioned how you know when Mjolnir is like emanating light too. There's like a little glimmers of color in that world which i thought was a really cool detail um that love is pain uh that's that's the theme of the movie uh that's the theme that you know thor is experiencing and exploring here when um he's i think he i'm paraphrasing maybe but he says something like i want to feel shitty about like he's thinking about you know love and his heartbreak Mm -hmm. as you know feeling shitty but ultimately deciding through the course of this film that it's worth it. And he wants to feel shitty. He's choosing love and he's choosing that pain. Um, and ultimately I think that's the message and, and the theme of this, of this film is that we, we should choose love. And that's the, that's the only real choice that we, we can make as, as human beings, as mortals who are only here for a temporary time. Like we, we need to choose love. Pain is, and suffering is uh, a constant. And that's something we just have to accept. So what choice do we have, but to choose love? We, you know, that's what we got to do. Valkyrie gets uh, gets stabbed in the battle, and they're able to retreat in the Bifrost. But when they leave, Gore grabs Stormbreaker, so Thor and the crew are separated from Stormbreaker. They land in a different place, and Jane is separated from Mjolnir now. Without Mjolnir, who's been... It looks like destroyed we think Jane is back to this weakened state The hammer would give her power But it would also drain her power 
she was at least able to be a hero and help others, but it was a ticking time clock on her life, and she is nearly dead. Um, and she's at the point where if she we were to wield Mjolnir even one more time, it would take all of the life and energy out of her, and that would 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 end up killing her. So she's she doesn't have much time left here. And we've seen this before too, this dynamic uh, recently in this season, the latest season of The Boys. Um, You're right. I, for, I forget the name of it, but whatever that serum is that gives them the temporary yep. uh, powers, uh, it starts the, to, I think, put holes in their brain or have v. some sort of like, yeah, yeah, the V, like it, um, it starts to kill them. And I believe they're given the info that it's, it, you know, if you use it one or more times, you're you're pretty much guaranteed to die. But they really need to complete their mission in in the story, and so the, there's that dynamic of like, do I, do I sacrifice myself for the greater good do I, to give myself this one last juice up and uh, and accomplish the mission, or you know, do I play it safe? So Thor, in trying to regroup, is able to get the thunderbolt, Zeus's thunderbolt from Valkyrie, and Thor heads to find Gore and the kids. Now Gore is taking them to the Eternity Chamber And we actually see What is Kind of a An interesting place Where they get to like the center Of the universe And in in this area there are all these Different statues that are Basically like the The, 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 the portals To big openings It's like a statue that's a door That you can kind of walk through and we see Eternity We see Lady Death We see Eon We see Infinity who's the sister of Eternity We see a green celestial We see our friend the Watcher From What If He's in there uh, The Living Tribunal is in there There are seven entities in this chamber And the Bifrost Can open the gates to this That is what Gore was Was trying to do all along He was basically trying to bait Thor so that way he could Take the he could take Stormbreaker and Gain access to eternity through the Bifrost so he had a plan all along And Thor has to try to Find him and Save the kids what did you think Of uh, some of the the look of the Statues and what this I guess center of the universe Here looks like (laughs) I just kept thinking Galactus is that right. Galactus? Is Galactus <laughs> going to show up? You're right. That I was my, that was my biggest thing. Uh, and then I, you know, I I definitely recognized the Celestial. I missed the Watcher uh, in there somehow, um, but I, I I could tell like, oh, this is an important area right here. And that that was what I I think there was one image of Eternity that I thought for a while was Galactus until we eventually saw Eternity there. So uh, I, I was a little distracted by my my Galactus hunt in this <laughs> sequence. I think they're probably saving that for a Fantastic Four story down the line. Um, but uh, you know, I thought hey, this is a cosmic story. What if they just uh, surprise us here? Um, but yeah, this was a this was a cool scene. Uh, it, the scene that follows it. I mean, we got some child soldiers coming I was about up. To say, they're putting the kids in. They're putting the kids they're putting in the a kids tough to work. Here. Thor empowers the kids using Odin's uh, worthiness charm And so now all of these kids have powers And they are able to fight off these 
shadow beasts. Um, so it, it's kind of a fun little moment where we see Axel and a lot of these kids kind of rise up. And one of them is a lichen, is a wolf. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe that was when uh, Thor was uh, was getting down on the uh, with the wolf woman. Um, There's one little girl who's like just prancing around, like ring around the Rosie, <laughs> like just darkly just cutting people in half. Like it's it's just a like very tip-toeing. strange sequence. Like you're right. It's she's like tiptoeing. I mean, let's uh, let's. Elephant in the room too. The the sequence kind of starts with when he addresses the kids and like he does the old they're right behind me, aren't they? Like he does the that joke. Yeah. Like the most cliche joke of, of all time, and it doesn't land at all. It doesn't even make Not sense the way he says all. it. No. Uh, uh, but then after that, he gives this kind of rousing speech to the kids that you know what? Honestly, if I was twelve or under, I might really like this whole sequence. I might really like it. And then I'm going. Is this movie just made for twelve year olds? Should I not be watching this anymore uh, when I see stuff like this? But then I think, wait, we we just saw like gallons of gold blood get spilled and orgies. And they're talking about like, orgies, yeah, out, right. Yeah. Like, what is this? Like, this movie is so mixed. This is what I mean when I say like it goes from like adult like Kill Bill violence to kid shit. I mean, the stuff with Christian Bale is really really dark, and even those the scenes where he's kind of torturing the kids even those scenes themselves are kind of weird because it's like what are we watching like i don't know that didn't bother me so much but the whole film felt like that in a tone deaf kind of way it's like it's two Uh, or three different movies put together in one you know that that, i like like, parts of it me too me too it's not bad throughout at all there are a, a part a lot of parts of this movie that i really enjoy but it it yeah. the puzzle pieces don't fit together that well yeah it's 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 like you like you're you're trying to put a piece of a puzzle in that it just doesn't fit in there and it's like well we're just going to jam it on in there and make yeah. it make it fit as, I mean, gold blood looks so cool you could have done a whole movie of of just stuff like those sequences with, with you know absolutely. him fighting an army of those guys and it would have been killer uh th- what we got here was very strange <laughs> very strange but go on sorry no no so uh, jane arrives uh with on valkyrie's pegasus and she helps to break the necrosword she uses some of the fragmented pieces of mjolnir to completely destroy any of the remnants of the sword and in doing this she basically sacrifices herself knowing that she will not be able to wield the hammer anymore and in not wielding uh that uh She's going to die. So as this battle's going on, Gore actually is able to enter Eternity's portal. And we mm. see this heart of the universe, the form of eternity. It and it's it's difficult, I think it's easy as we saw easier in what if and in comics to create things mm-hmm. than it is in live action mm-hmm. visually. Sure. Something sure. like this or like the watcher or you know the TVA and it's it's difficult sometimes to put this into live because it like we're saying with the CGI or the graphics it can look a little wonky or it can look I thought they did a pretty good job with the look of yeah. of eternity because it's not something that's easy yeah. to hit yeah I really enjoyed the look of eternity that like the universe kind of like all the stars and, and whatnot um, there's a similar look. I've seen recently in Fortnite, and you you mentioned um, 
uh, with the Watcher, I thought had a similar kind of effect to uh, an animated form. Uh, like a starry. Yeah, I, I, I thought they pulled it off. Yeah, Me too. Like that galaxy, almost like that image from the James Webb telescope, like like that, like superimposed, yes. you know, over his um, uh, over his shadow or, whatever, or over his silhouette. That is to say. So, the, the eternity is seated, eyes closed, and all around this area, it's like a wet water realm. It you keep yeah. thinking about what Jane mentioned earlier about the wishing well. And mm-hmm. Thor. It all it all just reminds me of what we saw in Black Panther, kind of like they're yes. all kind of spinning off that. Like you yes, know, it does uh, look a little bit like Thanos's um, realm, mm-hmm. also too, like lit up, lit up a little bit more. I think yeah. one of the things I saw, but it looks like right. what we saw in Moon Knight recently. I mean, yep. there's different tones and details to it, but there's that similar feeling of like. I, I don't know. Like part of me feels green screen room. Like that 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 just never goes away when I You're see right. those scenes. You're right. Uh, but not not to their. I don't know if it's necessarily their fault. Like like you said, I don't know if that you can make that look real because that's mm-hmm. not a real thing. Like, it's know? it's almost like um, yeah, it's like when when they try to make heaven look like. In movies sometimes right. Yeah yes. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're yeah, like That's exactly ah, what they're trying to do here Yeah, There's something like the Truman Show that I keep reminded of Of like when he hits the end of the Of the right. world you know And he kind of runs it like we were saying He kind of runs into the, the place earlier There's something there with it also um, But Thor sits there with a dying Jane in his arms And he, he actually pleads for Gore To use <laughs> his wish His request for love and not evil Use your request to bring back love Not to do away with all the gods and I thought this This whole sequence by the way It, it was really well executed um, The drama of it all I, Honestly once we got away from the, the, the child soldiers Like I felt like in I don't know the, the tone kind of shifted And I felt the weight It felt serious again It, it felt, it felt, felt serious. more important Yes This yeah, moment for, felt for, like these two were moment. about to die They did Yeah and, and uh, I thought Hemsworth did a great job in this performance. Uh, you, you've kind of touched on it before, but when she shows up, uh, you know, and he ha- he has that realization. You just see it in his performance, um, you know, uh, Hemsworth's performance that Thor just knows I'm going to lose her. Like she like he's he's happy in a way to see her in that like she's literally saving the day. And he's proud of her, but like he's just crestfallen and heartbroken. You see his heartbreak in that moment because he just knows she's she's done for. So she's he's gonna lose her now. So as Gore sees the love between Thor and Jane, he remembers love, his daughter love, and he actually uses his wish to bring back his daughter. And this young girl is now resurrected. And in being resurrected She actually is not A normal human She actually has powers now Godlike powers And as Gore is dying Both Jane and Gore Ask Thor To take care of love So they The dying wish is To take care of that girl To to raise my daughter for me As Gore Dies Jane kind of Volunteers Thor in that Jane, moment. Jane's Jane the one who sort of, of says he'll do it. Yeah, suggests it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we see Jane uh, whisper a catchphrase 
to Thor in his ear. We never hear it. We never know what it is. I'm hoping it's more creative than the ones that she was throwing around a little yeah. earlier on. Um, Lost in translation. What? Right? Sorry. Something. What, what you something, something. Say something. Give me something better than what we were getting. <laughs> Eat this hammer. Um, but even you, I saw someone that somewhere say like, if she said it's hammer time, I would have even jo- I would have even smiled <laughs> and smirked there. Right? That like, would have been amazing. Right? So like if she made a corny joke and it was that joke right then, I would yeah, have loved that. Honestly, that, that made me, me laugh so hard. That I would have really <laughs> popped. So, so, you know that that That's was phenomenal. Like I'm thinking of that now when I whenever I see that scene, so it'll make me chuckle. Um, when I go back and watch this movie more and more. Yeah. What if that's what she really whispered? He did laugh. Yeah. Like that's that works. That really works. (laughs) I love that. And uh, Jane then goes to dust, and the for the for the most part, the real plot of the movie is now finished up. We head back to Asgard. And we see Valkyrie training some of the kids in, in New Asgard. She's wearing a king's jersey, which is great. I thought it was a, a funny little nod. <laughs> and the Sith is actually doing some one-on-one training with Axel because he is definitely meant for great things. He has the powers of Heimdall. We see. You know, I missed Sif. I missed Sif in this. Did she have a missing arm? Yes. Is that confirmed? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what did was it like just? Did she have like a wooden arm in, in place or just, I, just missing? I think it was just missing with like a sling. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I, I got to pull that back up and make sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Because um, they got to give her a bionic arm at some point or something. Absolutely. Cool absolutely. <laughs> and uh, there's a statue in New Asgard built to honor Jane, who made her sacrifice. So she's treated now as a hero. Um, we hear the love story of Korg. He meets his love, Dwayne. I mean, has to be a nod to the rock. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, that's, those are the kind of things that that's fine. He doesn't even say yeah. Dwayne the rock or anything like that. We, he says, Dwayne, we see the rocks. We see it. We know it. We can smile yeah. and move along. Right. It's right. like it doesn't slap you over the head with like 30 seconds of goofy dialogue. It's just a quick right. moment where you can smile and like, boom, that like, those are the things I like. I like like mm-hmm. those nods, and uh, and then we see Thor and Love together, like we would see a parent and a child cooking breakfast. Then a playful fight. The young girl has decorated and drawn all over Mjolnir, um, you know, <laughs> painted Mjolnir all over and uh, mark mar- markers, bright colors all over the place. So. Just quick little interactions between kid and parent, and they're a team now. They do battle together because she's a child, but she has the powers of God, of the gods. And <laughs> Thor, who opened this movie alone, without purpose, meditating, he now has a purpose to care for this child. And he also has a teammate now, something that he's always really been looking for. He's felt... Out of place sometimes with the Avengers With the Guardians it really wasn't him Him and his brother were a good team But now Loki's not really around In this era He has a teammate And he can be the leader And it just he can be a father All of these little things that he needed He is now found And he has purpose And we see the big Thor jump now 
and with the silhouette mm-hmm. of the two of them, not just the one when Thor does the jump. So yeah. Thor, love and thunder. That's uh, the nod to the girl love and to Thor thunder. So and the comics in their run in the comics, they go around together for a while as a team, um, you know, fighting crime, saving lives, Thor, love and thunder. We'll get to the uh, post scenes in a minute. What did you think? Just putting a bow on the, the movie proper. Well, uh, you know, I really liked the way they finished it. I, I left the, the theater so feeling nice about it. And it, was, it wasn't really until I thought more about it that things came started, you know, getting picked apart and <laughs> a little bit. Even uh, now, the thing I liked about the ending, the more I think about it, it's like, oh, they did just kind of double down on the child soldier aspect of this movie here, which you could have written off as like, oh, it was a one-time thing. They had no <laughs> other choice. The kids were already there. But now nope. it's just like, no, no, we're just going to keep this little girl and throw her into the battle. Like, just keep bringing her to, like, battle after battle. And we're going to fight side by side with this little girl who I'm taking care of as, as my adopted daughter. You know, I'm an Uncle Thor, but whatever. For It's a parental thing at this point. Sure. But it's just child abuse. I mean, really think about it. Like, what's her childhood going to be? It's going to be fighting and, like, maybe that's exciting and adventure. Well, she- that's the... It's funny. I don't know. The, isn't, isn't this the same reasons why we thought people were villains for what they did to the Black Widows? Right. Yeah. Child to, like, soldiers. Yeah. To Natasha and to uh, Yelena. You know, like yeah, they're we scripting a child soldier. It's it's not even we, we hate them for what they've done here, and Alexi for you know wanting his daughters to be these killing machines, but because it's spun in a lighter tone, it's okay here. It's yeah, okay yeah. with love, you know. Imagine uh, I, Gore look, looking down going, what the hell, man? You said you were going to take care of her. And my You're daughter's out there in battle? battle? What? This isn't what we promised. Uh, this is she not what was finished. finished. It's like, <laughs> like, hey, can I get a take back on that and just go back and kill all the gods? Because yeah. I'm uh, screw this guy, Thor, you know. Uh, and even Little girl? You gave her Jane. Thor at an army? Like, even Jane. You- she's like, uh, Thor, I don't know if you should be doing this. Uh, is this really the best idea right now? I don't know, Thor. You know, she's just watching from above. Um, but uh, Love has Stormbreaker, and uh, Thor has Mjolnir, and they go to do battle. So we have two post credit scenes. The first yeah. one, Zeus is alive, and Zeus <laughs> is alive. And he's angry, and so this is like a little different Rapid than the, than the goofy, fat go- Zeus we saw earlier on. And we see his son, Hercules, Roy freaking Kent <laughs> yeah. from from Ted Lasso. He's here. So he's next. there. He's every freaking way. Roy Kent. <laughs> Roy Kent. Love, love him, by the way. Love oh, him. He's- uh, glad glad he got that dub. Yeah, uh, getting the bag on this one. Like uh, that, that's that's huge. Uh, huge first career and all that. Not crazy about the casting. I'll just put it lightly, like the, you know. I'll just put it out there. It's uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't fit for me. <laughs> well, I know, cause and and I don't mean to say it like that, but the guy is a comedy character now, based on his role. He's one yeah. of those guys who is like you can't help but not see Roy Kent at least for now. Um, well, here's the thing. We'll I, I, I got to differ from you on that one. So see, you, you, cause, cause I, you like him. You like him in some other in some other properties. Yeah, give him Wolverine. 
I give that guy. Well, That's, it's not going to happen now, but he would be my right. uh, like one of my top choices for Wolverine, a That's small, a great, scrappy, angry, hairy guy. That's, that's Wolverine right there. That's he's not a big hulking Hercules. They had to they had to jack him up uh, digitally. And he's, big, he's a small yeah, Hercules, guy in real life. You're right. Hercules doesn't feel just as like I know he's done it in other stuff, but Hercules is someone that's more like The Rock. Like yeah, that's the kind of exactly. Person. Yeah, he's literally played Hercules. Yeah, yeah, you're looking for someone that's like that. That's that big. Just body wise is overpowering, right? You gotta who, like, have somebody to match Hemsworth Absolutely. in real life. Cast a you know, shadow because the point a lot of a lot of the relationship with Hercules and Thor in the comics ever since the 1960s when Hercules mm-hmm. was created and and was sort of um, given a story was that they're kind of frenemies. They're mm-hmm. they're like um, they're rivals, but whenever things get serious, they'll and and they need to to be on the right side. They'll be on the same team. But they're they'll be in this ba- they'll be in battles, but then they'll be complimenting each other for their form right. while they're fighting, you know, or like, oh, look at right. your hair, you look great. Oh, you look so good today, you know. So there's this weird relationship where they're it's like the Spider-Man meme. They're mirror images mm-hmm. of each other almost. With right, yeah, they're foils. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it doesn't seem like that when you think of Chris Hemsworth, who would be close to the opposite of him. You just don't think. I I, I just don't think. You know him and yeah and uh, and I yeah. love this actor. I, I want him Brett to be Goldstein in the MCU. Is awesome. I think he's that great. would be awesome. He's fantastic, and I'm sure when we see this character, he'll be funny, and maybe we'll be yeah. thinking differently when we see yeah, him more hopefully. fleshed out. But I yeah. agree with you. At just first glance, it seemed like, hmm, I don't know if he's Hercules. That was my well, yeah. I was strangely like like. Happy to see the guy, but then disappointed about what it was. It was, it was, it was weird. And and if you wanted to talk CG and just the look of it, like the shot of Zeus is kind of ominous and it's darkly lit and it, it looks real. And then you cut to him and it just feels CG. Uh, it, it's a stark contrast, um, but it, it just takes me out of it every time. And I, I'm just now thinking ahead to like a whole movie of, of that. Of where it's gonna, they're gonna have to CG his muscles every time, and it's gonna be like they're gonna have to treat this guy like the Hulk. When there's there's legitimately like large actors out there that are willing to you know do a couple cycles of Anna Ball and and get their uh, roid rage under control. You know? I know, but absolutely, uh, but uh, but show up on set and and do the work. You know what I'm saying? Like that, like the old days, uh-huh. like the 80s a little bit in that regard. Uh, but um. But I mean, we have a great example of that still right now. Like you mentioned, The Rock and Hemsworth, we saw in this movie, he was bulked up in this movie uh, for. I think he's doing a Hulk Hogan movie, and that's mm-hmm. why he like was a like biopic. extra, yeah, extra large in this one, supersized. But that's what I want to see. In, Me too. In, uh, in a superhero movie, I want to see him bulked up. I don't know. I know they can do it with CG. It's, that's a kind of a minor gripe. If if, if I don't notice the CG, I'm not going to complain. But, but when you I notice don't it, be taken out of it. Yeah, we don't want to notice it. So if you're not going to do it, then you better make sure we're not noticing it. Right, right. Like yeah. That's. Um, we get to the second post-credit scene, and uh, we see Jane at Valhalla, and Heimdall meets her Boom. at the game yeah. at the gates. So, yeah, you hit on this in this portion of the MCU. In this most recent phase, we've seen a lot of the afterlife. And different versions and what Valhalla looks like and 
um, in Moon Knight 2, uh, as, as we saw it there, um, Loki, we saw some different thoughts. Um, so do you, does it bother you when you see characters that died back afterwards? You were kind of hitting on this a little bit earlier. Does yeah. it seem like less important and, and less weighty? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the major, uh, value of death and storytelling is that it, 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 it gives value to to the character's existence and when you take that away it gives them you know something for characters to to grieve over to experience and that that's that taps into a very fundamental aspect of of you know being a human being or being mortal and why we even tell stories you know why do stories have a beginning middle and an end uh you know our our lives have beginning middles and ends and we're looking to stories as reflections of our lives and and you know exploration of ideas and you know, themes that we've experienced and, uh, and we want to, we want to play those out, you know, and, uh, and think about them. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just, I don't know, this, this whole movie just doesn't quite deliver uh, in the way that, I, that I wanted it to, you know, it just doesn't coalesce to a, a, a real experience that feels like a, like a big payoff. And I think a big aspect of that is that, you know, there weren't stakes in it. And a big reason for that is nobody died. And yeah. they showed us from the beginning that, okay, people are going to, we're going to make you think that they're going to die. And then we're going to take it back. And, you know, who, who dies in this movie? The bad guy. You know, the bad guy dies. That's it. it it's a very, just it, like by the numbers, it's what you would come to expect. I'm, I, I wasn't surprised at all. I felt like I'd seen it all before. And it was kind of a waste of time like that. That was the the bummer about it for me. Like, I'm glad I had a few of those moments here or there that the movie brought me and it, it moved the, the characters forward a little bit. Uh, and it, I had a couple of good laughs along the way, but ultimately I could have just done without it. And that's not yeah. how I want to feel. I want to feel moved by the experience. I, I agree the same way. It wasn't like I I didn't watch the two hours and be like, God, that was bad. Like I had to walk out of a movie or anything. It felt sort of like right. I was watching a bunch of clips on YouTube. Yeah. Where it's like YouTube, it's content, it's disposable. It's the, it's to pass the time. It's not because because it's like worthwhile. it's every it's like a hit miss, hit miss, hit miss, mm -hmm. right? You're watching, you go on yeah. a deep dive of these different clips of whatever they are, and you're you're watching cat videos or whatever it is, right? And then one of them's funny, but the next one isn't. And then the next right. one is, and then the next one isn't. And then you find two good ones in a row, but then you find two or three ones in a row that yeah. you just skip. And that's kind of what this movie was for me. In, in It's two hours. I probably could farm out an hour of this movie that I really like. Yeah. And I could probably take another hour of it where it's like, oh, that was just a way, like that was just 30 seconds or a minute of completely wasted dialogue that didn't hit home at all with me. Like at all. And it it doesn't feel like a film anymore. And like, I think the, the, the difference between, you know, content, I, everything is just content now. So like, whether it's a sure. movie or a TV show or like a short or you know, something that's going direct to YouTube, like the companies that are making it, especially if it's being made by, a, you know, a, a conglomerate Disney, uh, they're looking at it just as like this, this content, content. it's a blank slate thing just to fill time. And uh, films and cinema, movies used to have an air about them where they were like definitive. You know, they're 
they're there and they're they're there forever and they're, they're like they're, they're meant to be revisited and enjoyed for years to come and you know to to stand the test of time and to say something about you know uni- you know universal human experiences and this just does not like live up to that idea of what a, fil- a film can and should be this to me it, it feels like just a commodity something cheap not it's not the first example of that there's been plenty of throwaway cash grab movies i mean there's more of those than there are you know what i was talking about before you know the grandeur of cinema but gosh i i just feel like a, a movie that has 200 million dollars go into it should be substantial and should be something that you know is built to stand the test of time and and actually say something and i applaud them for you know i touched on this just briefly at the beginning but some of the big swings they took in terms of the looks and the 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 their their choices that they made i love the little uh seventh seal references and and the look of not just gore but you know all the black and white sequences toward the end uh you know they they were definitely reaching for and aspiring to and giving uh, homages to you know real films and real cinema but i just don't feel like their hearts were in this. I think they were just churning something out uh, to meet a deadline. And I, I just felt that through and through the whole, the whole thing. And I, I wonder if it, it just the timing, if this movie earlier would have been mm. better received, you know, and like mm. er, er, earlier on when we were still fleshing out who everybody was, mm. I, if this was like in place of a Ragnarok, right. Is it just, is it mm-hmm. better received there? And Maybe. then, then like right now we're we're looking at Shang Chi and Moon Knight and Miss Marvel and I I think all of those are are fought, like I don't think you and I hated any of those but they, we're wondering how they're gonna connect I don't feel like they're yeah. connecting like we felt in the earlier where you're building up these Avengers movies and you know that they're all building to a a, a come together moment what's the mm-hmm. come together moment going to be for yeah. for all, all of them here it just to me, it feels like it's a little too disconnected right now. We're just kind of waiting for these separate this separation to come to come all together. And mm-hmm. I wonder if there's just a little fatigue out there. We've been talking about this now. Yeah. It's it's impossible for there not to be. In the last nine months, we've had Eternals, Multiverse of Madness, and Thor. Three movies in nine months. Yeah, that's too much. And that's not that's even counting I mean, the shows. That's not even counting the TV shows that have been going on during that. As you I and didn't I realize fit. the Groot the Groot shorts just dropped. I, just I didn't dropped. realize those are those are out on Disney. They're Plus all already. out. We can watch I just them right I now. just noticed that last night too. Because uh, yeah, last same. night before we were uh, recorded, I went to go uh, rewatch a couple of those uh, Daryl shorts on there. Right. I wanted to watch those, oh, nice. and I saw that the the Thor one or the I am Groot ones were all popped up on there. Um. Yeah. Those are new. Um. Yeah. Tim and I. Well, if we get a chance to watch them, maybe we'll mention a thought or two. We're not going to do uh, full mm-hmm. recaps on those, but we will be hitting She-Hulk, yeah. which begins just next week. And yeah. I think I like a lot of the cast and a lot of the players yeah. that are in She-Hulk. So I I have some expectations for it. But then on yeah. the flip side, some of the visual stuff, some of the CGI, some mm-hmm. of the things that we've seen, I'm a little trepidatious in in, yeah. in how well it may be done. But it's not going to stop anytime soon. We just saw another mm-hmm. a big Comic-Con where they told us a lot of the new releases and we saw some trailers and things moving forward. Mm-hmm. I 
I just will always say the same thing TV shows, movies, whatever You can't have you When you have given us A high level, a high quality Of movie, of film from the beginning That's what we're going to expect every time From you Yeah, And we can't expect it We're not going to Come into this and just be okay with um, Half-assing Some stuff here and there I don't know if this movie was a half-ass As much as it was just Mm -hmm. a little bit Tonally imbalanced more mm-hmm. so, I think I don't think they weren't trying in this movie. I think that some of the things they were trying were just they just didn't they didn't hit. They were just swings and misses. Um, I think yeah, I think they're kind of winging it at, at, at times. I know they have a lot of uh, deeply rooted plans. They do tons of pre visualization on all their effects and everything. But I do think that they're kind of plugging and playing a lot of the way that they work the edits, uh, the way that they work with this the the cgi teams i think that from what i've heard on these reddit threads and you know articles that get posted from actual people who work on these uh projects you know a lot of times the leadership doesn't know what they want and they're asking them for one thing and then they they deliver it and they they're changing kind of arbitrary things multiple times uh without really knowing like like having a firm grasp from the beginning about what they're doing and where they're going. Like when you think of the great films that have been made in history, there's exceptions to this, of course, but a a lot of them are auteur driven or, or, or they're founded by people who had a very specific vision and a very uh, good, good idea of that vision. And that's not to say that they didn't, um, you know, take chances and, and, you know, diversions along the way and inspiration in the moment. Uh, the great artists always do that. But the, the greatest artists and the greatest works usually come from a very sound, well thought out vision. And it's not something that's rushed in just a couple of years to, to make a deadline. And I do feel like that they're at the mercy of their deadlines uh, and the, just this huge, unwieldy uh, release schedule that that's growing every year and there's just no infrastructure to support that and continue the quality as as we've come to expect it there has to be a dip when you do that it happens all the time in restaurants Uh, my wife used to work at the first umami burger and umami burger was dope when it came out let me tell you like Mm -hmm. uh, if you remember like it was it was dope a lot of people aren't eating at umami burger i think they recently did another rebrand but what happened was that at one point they sold to sbe a private equity group and they started changing everything. So they stopped making their sauces in house. They started using a different, cheaper blend of beef. So insiders, you know, people like my wife, they knew that information and we could tell the difference over time, over a year or two, people just stopped coming as much. It wasn't a hot restaurant anymore. They Mm -hmm. started shuttering locations. Wonder why that happened. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's the same dynamic at play. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And they're overextending beyond their resources. And we like the content. We love we. Th- these are stories that I want told, right? It, for uh, and th- let me say this: this Thor movie that we just have had. I don't know if this story was needed to be told in this movie. I think you could have taken the gore and maybe even had Thor show up in other stuff. I don't know if we needed an entire separate movie. For the story that was being told here I do think that Whether or not you like Or enjoy Miss Marvel Or Moon Knight or Shang-Chi Those are unique Those are new And so I'm fine with new stories Being told 
The ones that are going to bother me or maybe feel like they're unnecessary are ones where it doesn't feel like anything new has happened and it doesn't feel like we've I mean like okay Thor has the girl now love. I just don't know how much came out of this movie. Even in Loki and in Multiverse of Madness, we're getting all of this new terminology and we're learning about the multiverse and we're learning about um the different realms and this and that. I don't know all what from this movie was all that new that was introduced. We didn't get new terms, um, right? I mean, yeah. you, I feel like, like they it, soiled things that were already introduced. I completely uh, agree with you. you know, like like it, it kind of ruined our, my my understanding and expectation of of all those things that were introduced in those movies that took those things seriously and this subverted it in a way that just literally subverted the reality of it all and made me go like this is silly. Yeah, I agree. So hopefully next week when we chat, we'll be uh, feeling a little bit more optimistic about She-Hulk. But I do I do agree with you in yeah. that. I like the way they finished it. I felt pretty good about mm-hmm. Thor at the end mm-hmm. of the movie with Thor and uh, with Love there. What, like yeah, seeing him. Sweet. Like I I think you could have a, a show or even a, uh, scenes with him and the girl would just be funny. Because you could just put the two mm-hmm. of them together doing like father-daughter type stuff. And it would just yeah. be fun naturally. You won't even have to really write funny parts for it. Just let them act, you know. And and it they're would gonna be they're gonna have fine. a great chemistry too, because you know, real they're, father daughter, real father daughter, so. right? So they it's probably awesome. have inside jokes and stuff that they could yeah. just like naturally do. So uh, TK, my friend, when we all started a, a while ago, I didn't know <laughs> if you realized you were gonna be along for this type of a ride, right? With all the stuff right that on. we've got coming <laughs> out and all the work yeah. that I put, I put you to work so much, but. Man, I love talking with you, and you always yeah. sort of, um, like I said, you always kind of hit a couple points that maybe I wasn't thinking of, and maybe a few things that are either positive or negative, or uh, you sort of change my perception on things a little bit, which is what friends are for and what these conversations are for. Why, why we all uh, talk barbershop talk with our friends about yeah. the, the things that we like. So next week, my friend, you ready to talk some She-Hulk? Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the show and looking forward to, to chatting about it with you. And uh, it could really go either way, like you said. I think uh, uh, there's a lot to to really be excited about. Daredevil, Mark Ruffalo, Hulk. Uh, I mean, just the Jennifer Walters character in general. Uh, who knows what other New York superheroes we might see along the way. I think it, it there it's going to be a fun story. I love the breaking the fourth wall that they're seeming to be doing in this uh i'm crossing my fingers that the cgi won't be too distracting maybe what we're judging now is just you know the stuff that's in the trailers which is unfinished you know there's a couple coats of polish that needs to get put on that but you know as recent shows have uh, and and films have uh demonstrated their cg has been missed so i don't have the highest of hopes for that but overall i think you know i i really am excited to see this this show and uh and what they do with it me too i don't have a whole lot of um I don't have a whole lot of biases coming in one way or the other or expectations. It's probably a better way of putting it yeah. one way or the other. I just want the the quality to be good. And if not, we're going to rip it next week right here. Yeah. If it's great, <laughs> exactly. we'll, we'll be positive on it. And we'll never be like overly negative just to be negative. We'll be no. negative about the things that we dislike that are in front of us. We don't, there's no hidden agendas here. We love our MCU and our Marvel content. We just want it to be the best as possible. And if it's not, we'll always say what we think could have been done a little bit better, right? That's what I, I hate when people say, oh, that sucked. What else would you have done differently, 
right? And that's what right. we'll always try to do. And I, I, you always will say, I think they could have done this this way, or this mm-hmm. could have been better if it was this way. And so, um, I'll uh, I'll always try to do the same thing there. TK, my friend, we'll be giving you a follow at Tim is not funny on Twitter and on Instagram. Check out Ice Cream Fire; they're great, great music project. And uh, download all that music there. And uh, we'll be diving into She-Hulk next week, my friend. I hope you have a a fantastic week and look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much. Don't go anywhere, folks. We still have a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. So on to She-Hulk next. Big thanks to Tim for helping us out with the deep dive. And uh, big thank you to Eric. We're almost finished up with our NFL team-by-team previews. It was so much fun. Catching up with Kevin Preston, the owner of Louisiana Downs. And uh, it was weird talking wrestling without Chad Cooper this week. But a thanks to Eric, a thanks to Kevin, and a thanks to TK for helping us out. We'll be back with a lot more content coming up in the next few days. Now, keep in mind, if you need any help with races on Saturday or anything on the weekend, please come over to social media because I will have Saturday Saratoga, Saturday Del Mar stuff. Friday morning, we have that... Uh, weekend summer stream 10 a.m. Eastern time 7 a.m. Pacific time that's on Twitter and then I'll also be having a stream on Sunday to go over the Queen's Plate early in the morning so there will be a lot of Friday, Saturday, Sunday stuff if you're looking for more help with the races from Del Mar Saratoga, Woodbine and then every time there's racing happening at Louisiana we'll have full card analysis and selections for you Good luck this weekend with everything, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and share the show around with your friends. Let everyone know as we get closer to football season, we will preview every single football game. We'll give you unbiased analysis. We'll try to help you make money in each and every game this year. Some of them are passes, but we'll let you know our leans. Eric will help me and all of our NFL game-by-game previews this year. So much coming up in the next few weeks. Look forward to sharing it all with you on That's What G Said.